Age of Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies in the Stargates this episode are... Hi, my name is Paul, and can I tell you that I am so excited to talk about dropouts in Age of Sigmar? I mean, or are you telling me that koala est means something else? That's offensive. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm Aaron, and uh, I'm the Saurus. Gotta love me. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm Phil, just along for the ride through the cosmic void here, hopping on over from the underworlds. And I'm Eric. I'm still a dream dino shooting lasers from outer space. You always will be. <laughs> In this episode, we cover the lore of the Seraphon Battle Tome. Get ready to hear a whole lot of unintelligible growling, unfathomable plans, and heads in the stars. And then if we have time after all that, we'll talk about those lizard men. Mm-hmm. How are you doing tonight, my scale males? That's us. Yeah. That's a new one. Scale mail, right? That's fun. We're a bunch of dudes. <laughs> with I like this. <laughs> yes. this, is, this is off to a great start. I love it. Yeah. Um, well, hey, real right quick, there. besides this uh, you know, generic intro, I mean, no, there's customized every way of through and through. Do you want to give a little bit of uh, background that you were talking about, about the last time the four of us were together on a battle tome? Oh, I do very much. And in fact, uh, a lot of this isn't new. I just copied and pasted it from the first time. So we were just talking before uh, that we started recording or whilst we were recording, but it didn't probably won't make the episode in that, guys, it was the four of us, these same four, three years ago uh, to the month April 2020, talking about the last Seraphon Battle Tome. Man, time is a flat circle, and we are along for the ride. What are the, what are the chances? That's crazy. Thanks for I feel like we're back. all in the orb infernia, and time has been reversed. I'm going to make the yeah, same yeah. joke I made when we weren't recording, because we weren't recording. So it's a good joke. Yeah. I'm going to use it again. Come on. I'm yeah. You, you can't let those things go. They, they just have to get used. Have to yeah. make it into the episode. I'm uh, looking on the star map now to see which moon we've been hanging out in. Because there's a million of them. There's a lot of moons on that yeah. map. Um, yeah. But well, I feel like maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, gentlemen, uh, it sounds like we're all doing great. It sounds like we are enthused in the three years uh, since our last Seraphon episode has not diminished our Azerian light within, within us. Um, that was a tough metaphor to get out. Uh, I'm curious, you lot... What you, what you all been up to? Not so much in the last three years, but maybe. If, if, <laughs> all right. What have I done in the hobby the last three years? Uh, most recently in the hobby that you want to share uh, with our dear listeners? Um, we'll go in the same order. Hey, Paul, what you been up to in the old hob? I am working on my squiggle inch. Um, I have been working on it for the uh, Path the Story podcast, Path the Glory Army. Um, I bought it, ironically, around April 2020. And I'm just now getting around to actually painting it. So it sounds about right. A rough pandemic, man. I'll tell you. Hey, uh, hey, Phil, what you been up to in the hobby? Yeah, uh, not a whole lot since getting back from Adepticon. But that's, I guess, the thing that we all did. We were all at Adepticon. That was mm. fun. I saw. Um, I got a picture. Yeah, and uh, working on mostly more content for what the hex. Um, we got. And so so much to do and so little time no doubt uh see here the trick is phil i'm gonna let you in on a little secret uh yeah don't do episodes like every other week you mad man you, yeah you well take. you know they, we got davy there cracking that whip i, I mean <laughs> that's, that's true i just la- laugh because i just picture him chasing people around with the whip i feel like he's a devotee of slanesh with that joke Ooh. oh and he does mm. he does like slanesh 
This yeah. is fun. Look at us. Mm. Um, Connecting the dots. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Eric, uh, what you been up to? Ooh, uh, similar. Uh, Adepticon uh, uh, ran a narrative uh, uh, war cry event. We had 40 players and it went off like clockwork. So much fun. I made 40 new friends, frankly. Nice. Um, and so if, uh, if winning is the friends you make along the way, then I am winning for sure. First, are you winning friendship? 40 new friends. Sounds like a great name for a chamber orchestra. I'm just going to say, Oh, of 40 people. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, then what else? Uh, yeah, we've got a, a war cry event locally coming up this next week and it's called, we don't, I don't know if it's got a full name. We're talking about the name uh, but everyone's bringing like really janky, crazy, kind of stupid lists uh and so it's going to be a lot of fun it's gonna be the first tournament that my i guess tournament event that i'm bringing my 10 year old to uh and so uh it's going to be a lot of fun but yeah just kind of getting things together for that um yeah having fun having fun playing more games than i am actually building models so that's cool uh, eric you mentioned your jank event it also that sounds like a janky <laughs> event that the uh the underworlds players are going to be doing i think i mean the in the relatively near future as well it's funny that both both sides of the house are doing jank events here pretty soon going crazy am i am i I wrong phil um is that coming up what is it what is the little thing that you guys are running well yeah so so we're doing a thing we're going to be recording an episode that was suggested by one of our listeners um where all of the hosts of what the hex will be doing a (laughs) affectionately named trash fire tournament uh, because the decks are all going to be trash. Uh, but we're all doing very thematic, uh, creative, but not actually good decks. And we're all going to play against each other with those decks. And it'll it'll be a good time. We're going to have an episode coming up probably next few episodes. Um, we still have to actually play those games. And then we have an actual event that we're going to be hosting uh, May 13th. Okay. And open games. So I might as well plug that since yeah. uh, we're plugging Warcraft stuff too. Is that, are you building those lists and giving them to each other to play? Like you're building a list for each other or for yourself? For ourselves. So, so we each like, we had a whole list of suggested themes for us to build with. Mm-hmm. And then for each of us, we drew out of a hat to see what we were going to have to build. Okay. Um, so we ended up with random in the sense that the themes are kind of random and then also we didn't know which of the suggested themes we were going to be building all right all right and then as far as my mommy's dumb is just that i'm still working on Warcry train i think i'm on the second box and the second tree so second tree of second box for those of you playing along at home and trying to keep track of how far along i am uh, <laughs> right. first tree of second box that's an involved. That's an involved assembly. Uh, mm. It's like with the the backing, and then there's the dangling like canopy thing. Yeah. Oof, there's a lot, lot to that thing. That's, so that puts you on tree six overall, right? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, I would be on tree tree six. Yep. So the tree just before, I believe you affectionately refer to the bone hole. Yeah, yeah. I'm not the, the, I'm not the, the knot tree. <laughs> Next. Um, so yeah, it's tricky because I. Man, do I love gluing things together. That's probably my favorite part of the hobby, really. Um, and I know that I'd kick myself if I did like permanently glue a lot of these uh, Warcry trees together. So I've been leaving them in sub-assemblies, but that ooh, drives me crazy, yeah. and I wish that I could just put them together. But I won't. I won't, I won't do it. <laughs> um, future Aaron 
uh, will love me for it. Actually, no, future Aaron already hates me. Um, so, okay, let's uh, keep <laughs> on going then. Unless there's anything else you guys want to talk about before we get into the story phase. Yeah, I'm done talking about fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, let's get to time, time to get down to business. Let's story. Homework. Uh, but jokes on you. I'm just kidding. There's one more thing we got to get through, and it's these Ooh. Plugs and you're saying, Aaron, I'm already listening to the Moral Realms. Get off my case, and I say, too bad. <laughs> Not oh, listening to enough of it. <laughs> I need more. Uh, hey, you can find more episodes of this podcast and all of our other shows at themortalrealms.com. And you'd say, what other shows? I would say, if you wanted to hear more, Paul, you could get the Path to Story po- podcast. If you wanted to hear more of Eric, you could get the Dogs of Warcraft podcast. If you wanted to get more of Phil, you could get the What the Hex podcast. And if you wanted to get more of me, this is you're already in the right place. That's very did you plan? Did you plan that? Do you pick? I feel like one of us from each podcast. I was thinking about it while I was doing the dishes tonight. Actually, um, mm-hmm. so I was Seems like trying to think more professional. Yeah, sneak it in there. Um, you can email us or your feedback at mortalrounds at gmail.com. There is no the, it's just mortalrounds at gmail.com. Uh, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash the mortal realms. Whoops, the the is back uh, to support the show and get early releases of the story phase and access to well, it is now exclusive content like the Pocket Realms, which is short story phases hosted by Davey and myself, Aaron. Um, and then if you can't or don't want to, pitch in monetarily which is fine we don't expect you to um Mm. and head on over to your podcast service of choice and give us a review or instead just tell your friends your family your doctor uh your dentist who's also a doctor i guess um all about the mortal realms because i mean word of mouth is really the best way to get uh this out there though also reviews probably help too for the algorithm I'll just put it out there. We don't want your Patreon if you're going to make us feel guilty about it. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm fine. I don't feel guilty about most things. So try your best, I suppose. Uh, on me. That's not true. Honestly, out of the four of us, I probably feel the most guilt on anybody. Um, so that is the end of the plugs right then and there. Um, I think we could probably do the story phase, which is now Paul's turn. Hey, Paul, take us there. The story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. We sure do. And like I said before, we're going to do a Seraphon Battle Tome episode. Uh, You may think to yourself, Aaron, three years ago, in this exact month of April 2020, uh, you already did a Seraphon Battle Tome. We sure did, but we're going to do another one because there's a bigger release. And uh, GW was kind enough to send us the Battle Tome and they said, hey, do your thing. And we said, all right, don't mind if we do. So thank you, GW, for sending us the Seraphon Battle Tome so we can chat about it yet again, another time. Did you guys know the Seraphon God of Repeating? Deja Vu Otto? Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cool. I thought it was a shot at me for a second, but okay, cool. That's a good good, good joke. That's fine. Um, <laughs> All right, neat. So uh, we won't necessarily dive into the sa- the same exact stuff because that would be repetitive uh, from the last episode. Uh but I don't know. Plus, we want to go back and listen to that one first and then listen to this one to see God, which we need, ones, we need what the change. real bad. So, like, please do so. Um, it's, it's a, this is equal part sequel and maybe reimagining of, uh, of that previous episode. But um, one thing I cannot get, I can't get past. And I don't know if we even did it back then. So all the more reason to do it now. No, I think we might have. Actually, Klaus would be able to tell us if we did or didn't. Um, is my favorite segment. We will always do my favorite segment. I don't care how repetitive it is. Um, it is our one sentence summary of the faction or the race or whatever. Because um, I want to know what you guys think, summed up in one sentence of the Seraphon. Um, I always go to Paul first, and today will be no exception. Hey, Paul, give me your one sentence summary of the uh, Ulfan. Let's do um, 
reptilian raptors uh, that are cold-blooded and uh, cold-hearted killers who lay down their lives for the plan of the old ones. It's true. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Guys, remind me, before the end of the episode, while you guys are talking and I won't be paying attention, let, remind me to count how many times the phrase cold-blooded is used in this battle tone because I noted it is used an awful lot. So good good call yeah. putting it in your one-sentence summary because it seems vital uh, to this faction or race. Um, hey, uh, I think Eric was last. So Phil, would you be so kind as to give us a one-sentence summary of the Seraphon to, your be- to the best of your ability? I would. Uh, Seraphon are a herpetological cornucopia of magic and might. You might call them dinosaur people. You son of a gun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> those are some $10 words right there, and I love it. Uh, they, they use a lot of those in this book, too. <laughs> yeah. Like Mine was a fifth-grade introduction. Yours was like a PhD-level introduction. <laughs> myself now. We have to vary vary the uh, the reading levels that we have um, for our audiences because really we may have some fifth graders and we may have some PhDs. Uh, honestly, we probably have neither of those things listening to mm. this, this episode currently. So what you're saying is I'm the big bird of the mortal realms. I'm the guy that like says the stupid things so listeners can understand what's going on. I buy that. Yeah, man. If I thought that listeners understood what you said, I would say that it was true. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And now, now all I can think of is Sigmar Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> the the when he throws his hammer and loses it, that'd be Grover going near and far. <laughs> <laughs> the coalesced are near. The starboard are far. If there were monsters at the end of this book, it would. I feel like the ending would be a lot different than. Uh, mm. um, I mean, technically, true. the Bastilodon is the last entry in the book, so there are monsters at the end of this book. That's true in a technical sense. Hey, Eric, would you be so mm. kind as to give us a one sentence summary of the Seraphon? Oh, we're still doing that. I thought maybe I'd uh, gotten away from it by us just chatting around and going down to there. <laughs> you wish. Okay. I don't know if you heard, okay. but it's my favorite segment. All right, <laughs> scaly. Space lords that see stars until they hit the ground uh, and uh, get into terraforming and pterodons. That's all I got. I just needed a couple of alliterations in there. And you, and you don't mm-hmm. need any more than that. Um, in fact, any more than that would be on a lot. Only one What do you call a coalesced seraphon law form? A terra firma. <laughs> I'd call a lawyer on that terraforming. <laughs> Davey will be so mad when he listens to this. All right. It's, a, it's <laughs> just going to be nothing but puns. Yeah. Thick all the way through. I should really keep Eric and Paul separate. Keep them separate. <laughs> <laughs> People will be wondering if we're the same person. Because you never see us in the room at the same time. That's true. Um, all right. All right. We got through my favorite segment of the whatever. Um, so normally this is where I talk about the origins. But I don't exactly want to because we've already done that before. And... I'm one of. I'm going, to, I'm going to try to focus on some of the newer things. So I will frame the question in this way. Um, I think we had some concept of origins originally. Did this book give us anything new on the origin front, or maybe even just early days of the Seraphon? Did we glean anything, gain anything? Has anything been changed from the previous battle tome about the origins of the Seraphon? And if the answer is no, this is going to be a very boring segment. But what do you guys think? I believe so, but it's very slight. Ooh. Tell me more if you have more to tell. Yeah. So, so previously, we already knew that the Seraphon had somehow managed to use their temple ships to get to the mortal, 
mortal realms. And we know that they left the old world in the temple ships, but uh, we get a little bit more info this time around saying that they, they've sort of had to shut down their ships, put everything into stasis and like sort of drift through space. And that part I think was not as clear in the last battle tome. We know that as they were drifting through, or I guess not drifting, but in the last battle tome, we knew that they were just sort of aimlessly flying through space. This time around, it sounds like they literally couldn't do much because they just had run out of energy. And then Dracothian finds them, reinvigorates them, leads them to the mortal realms into Azir. And in Azir, they actually say this time around, they were in like, I guess, high orbit of Azir, if that's a thing, and siphoned off magical energy from Azir to restart their ships and wake up all the Seraphon that were in stasis. And that's a lot more like leaning almost into sci-fi like stuff that they didn't do in the previous tome. Uh, they also restarted their spawning pools, which I don't think we had a whole lot of talk about spawning pools in the previous tomes. Um, one thing I didn't realize is that like when they were going into stasis, the only reason they were able to stay alive while they were floating through the voids of space is because like the, the slam themselves, which were, yeah. were like sort of low, low grade, like a, a, a small draw battery uh, to some degree. Um, and that's what kept them alive for all that, all that time. But like, like you said, like they couldn't do anything beyond just, you know, exist or, you know, keeping their, their cryogenically frozen. I don't know if it's really frozen, um, stasis. So, um, I, I feel like a couple times in this book, it talks about how like the Salon can do things to power their ship. Like they themselves are like a source of power, not the strongest, but mm -hmm. some source of power. So that was an interesting to me. I couldn't remember if that was always spelled out as clearly previously. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Um, and I, I, it is definitely like leaning more into, Hey, look at how powerful Salon are and like all the stuff that they're doing um, to get their race from the old world to the mortal realms was um the origin pieces about their fragmented memory of the past a thing yes only in the sense that like the slon live for so long and not all of the slon are the, from like the original spawn in fact the only original spawning slon left is croak who's technically mm -hmm. dead <laughs> um so they're all like trying to remember the great Man. i am dead <laughs> and many of them weren't even there and the others you know are having to try and piece things together from thousands and thousands of years so it's sort of like they're not actually sure anymore well, the, the piece that seemed new to me was that not only it's the age thing but the this great war between Ooh. the old ones and chaos was so brutal yeah that, that is the, new that the old ones eliminate like took those memories mm -hmm. from from the salon but in doing so also erased some of their understanding of the great plan um so that as an origin seemed a little fresh to me i wonder was that ever in the and I don't know if anyone here knows, but was that ever in the old world? Like, was that old world lore too, or is it brand new? Like, universally, I don't, I don't know. 
um, so be curious to figure out. I've got a divergence, which includes that. So my understanding of lore of Warhammer Fantasy Battles um, was that they had some ancestral memory of what the old ones were, but it wasn't very clear. It was relatively spotty, right? They didn't know what the great plan was. So what we're kind of dancing around here is that the entire basis of the Seraphon motivation is based on these people that were called the old ones, or maybe not people, um, creatures that were called the old ones. And they had made this great plan. And the entire creation of the Seraphon race, which were the Lizardmen in the Warhammer Fantasy Battles, was based on the idea that the Lizardmen would create and execute this great plan that they had. Now, when the old world blew up, basically they failed miserably because the great plan was to stop chaos from taking everything over, right? So um, my understanding of how this lore has developed is that when we got the first Seraphon book, it was one of the first books that came out for Age of Sigmar, um, and the Seraphon were actually order demons. They actually had a demon keyword, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And so they were basically these completely created beings that just appeared, right? Uh, they were the thoughts of the slan that were able to become flesh because of the magic of the slan. So the slan were central towards the Seraphon in the first battle tome because they were the reason that the Seraphon existed. Like the Seraphon literally couldn't exist without the slan believing them into existence. When we got the second battle tome in 2020, um, we got this nuanced understanding of what they were, which is that we still had this idea that they would come down from the stars, but we got the distinction between the, the starborn and the coalesced. And the coalesced are seraphon that have been in the realms for long enough that they have some measure of stability from the realms. And now in this third edition battle tome, what we have is I think we have a ironically a return to some of the warhammer fantasy battle themes that we had before the old world blew up but incorporating these two new themes that we've gotten from age of sigmar and we've kind of married them all together into this new identity of this is what seraphon are and this is how they approach the mortal realms and so i agree completely with everything that phil said um and i agree with the things that he was like I don't think this was in the last battle tome because I don't remember that either. Um, And to me, what that actually gives is like a a really interesting nuanced evolution and a nuanced understanding of what it means to be Seraphon now. And so to throw that in, the one major difference we have from the last battle tome to this one, um, apart from the model refresh and the range refresh, is that we've had Lord Croak show up again. So he was a character from the old world, um, and he's now a character in Age of Sigmar. And he seems to be the narrative thrust that's really pushing this lore forward um, in this battle tome. So, Phil, would, what do you think about that? Am I completely off base? Am I filling in some blanks? What are you thinking? No, I, I mean, that was that was what I was getting to, is that they, they are sort of actually kind of going backwards to be able to go forwards. I think... Um, we even see it in a couple of different segments um, throughout the book where some of the previous lore is used as like almost like uh, these are the myths and legends that the mortal 
races in the mortal realms tell about the seraphon and sort of like having to retcon some of this stuff to be like we did that and we decided that that didn't work so now these are stories that people told about the seraphon that's not really how they worked but it's how they seemed like they worked um which is just i i think it's kind of funny that um in a good way that they sort of owned that and were like, hey, let's keep it around, but let's let's sort of tongue-in-cheek make fun of ourselves with this. Which, which leads to one of my favorite words, unreliable narrator. Oh, my they, God. They've really there it is. into this <laughs> battle. <laughs> I won't try and say it too many it's, times. It's actually like, 35 minutes. It took you a while to get there. I was super patient. <laughs> and like, I didn't yeah, interrupt. Absolutely. I was being patient and waiting. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Uh, right on. Very cool. I'm sorry. I pulled up. I've pulled up all the Seraphon books now. And I'm trying to see. Like, I'm trying to quick compare them to see what oh, is or isn't in them. No, I, um, I think it's. I think it's interesting too to to kind of retcon that uh, previously, you know, the destruction of the old world was the breaking of the plan. But I think what they've reestablished is that the the plan is still in motion. That the 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 dying of the old world was not the thing that needed to be prevented in the plan. Um, that it's it's chaos taking over all of the realms and stuff that is sort of the thing they have that they are intended to avoid but um how to do that you know even amidst the salon there isn't a, a clear unified uh kind of uh, idea of what the what that plan from the old ones is because those memories are gone and that uh, forward motion is a little chaotic for them well i mean not, not with the capital c though I like the way narratively that they incorporated that into the lore here, because the way that they incorporated that into the lore is specifically through the character of Lord Croak, because Lord Croak is the only first generation slan. So they big back this idea that there's only five generations of slan, which was something that was super big deal in Warhammer Fantasy Battles, and you had different rules for every generation. Um, But Lord Croak is the only slan that is still in existence that was from the first generation. So he's the only slan who knew the old ones or like could remember at any point. And because he's just showed up in the narrative now, they've kind of elided everything that happened before as it was all the rest of the slan who there are less than five of the second generation, but then everything else is third, fourth or fifth. So farther and farther removed from the old ones. And they've all been working together as a committee to try and figure out what's moving forward and how to, go through with the with the great plan whereas croak literally just shows up and is like we're doing this now and they're like um this isn't in any of our scriptures this is not in any of our plaques why are we doing this because i said so right so they kind of get around the idea of the great plan by saying well these guys never knew what it was to begin with and lord croak has been gone for so long communing with like who knows what doing this like techless thing where he abandoned his race in the hour of their greatest need but now he's here and he's telling us what to do. So we're, we're kind of good and we're, we're going to move forward. How dare you try and judge a celestial being that you know not what their mind or motive is. <laughs> Unfathomable. Uh, I can't even say the word. That's, how, that's, how, that's how above him, above us he is, is I can't pronounce the adjective to describe him. Um, uh, so, all right, we're hanging out in the age of myth a little bit. So yada, yada, yada. They find, find the moral realms that kick it in his ear for a hot second. Um, did you guys have any stories in this battle tome, this 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 one that we're talking about, um, that were new or exciting or jumped out at you from the Age of Myth that you wanted to talk about from this uh, from this time frame. 
I think I think we've hit on the big things, mm. um, sort of the very earliest parts. But there was a small mention in one segment of um, sort of the early peoples of the mortal realms, where as part of the great plan, the Seraphon would seed like knowledge about magic or certain technologies into like strategically placed groups of people to be like, hey. If you develop faster and better than the other groups around you, you can help, you know, protect this area from chaos. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting that they s added this concept of like shifting and directing the mortal realms as something the Seraphon have been doing since the beginning. I'm pretty sure that never came up before. No. And and the thing I like is that they specifically mentioned the Eglaraxi which is the first campaign setting that we have, but they're also massively figured into Soulbound, uh, the role mm. the game. I thought that was fun. Nice. Good tie it, in there. It kind of reminds me of how like the elves taught the humans magic, like in the old world, right? That's similar in, in concept uh, of that. Like we've got this very ancient, powerful race that like is teaching us a, a bunch of dummies, like how to, <laughs> how to live uh, and succeed. Um, one of the stories that jumped out at me in that, uh, it it is worth telling in the stories that just the the retelling of the Age of Myths side of the Kragnos story basically and how he was stomping around and chasing down um, Draconiths. Um, I won't I won't rehash the details because I feel like we've covered it a bunch of times, especially in the the Broken Realm stuff. But like the uh, the Seraphon were integral sort of in saving that race um, and hiding it away. And so if you're going to do a timeline story especially with some of these new details that we've learned recently and by recently i mean in the past couple of years since the last seraphon book um it's worth mentioning that yes they do call that stuff out um because you know it was important in the history of uh, the seraphon amongst many other things yeah i was i was surprised i don't think the salon are as endangered as my concept originally was uh, they talk about in the Kragnus story how they had they lost a number of salon in that fight and to me, it, my initial thought was like, is it worth losing Slon in these fights? Like, they're such a precious um, commodity. So to have it be that they were willing to sacrifice for that is interesting. Um, it's so. but it's it's Warhammer though. Like, there's always of of a dying race. There's always just enough to, ever, to get whatever story you need to get across. Right? There's That's there's true. always just That's enough Slon to yeah. be like, all right. Well, we lost so many, but there will always be so many left. Um, yeah, but this is the first time I, I feel like in Warhammer Fantasy Battles, that was a super strong theme. The Dark Elves were a drying, dying race. The High Elves were a dying race. The Wood Elves were a dying race, right? But this is the first time that like we've specifically seen the mention of this race is a dying race. And we have it with Seraphon now, which I think is interesting because they can create, you know, endlessly through their spawning pools. So... I, I just thought that was interesting, and 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 that's as opposed to 40k, where it's more grimdark, and AOS is more hopeful. This is the first time that we've had less hope, yeah. right? I mean, I feel like they suffer from the photocopy of a photocopy problem. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, all right, any Age of Myth final thoughts before we keep on trucking along to our Age of Chaos? Did it even happen? That's what I'm going to say. It's, mm. it's, it's, we may never know. Um, all right, let's talk about some Age of Chaos stuff. Did we learn anything new, I guess maybe broadly, about the Age of Chaos that we didn't uh, know before? And if the answer is no, then were there any stories that you guys wanted to talk about from this 
era. So, so just a couple very small things, um, at least that I noticed it in one segment, there's just a very quick mention of, uh, subcults of mortals who are starting to worship Seraphon as embodiments of Jacothian and that the church of un, Unbarogan, which I don't know if I've seen a reference to that recently. Um, but they're like, Hey, that's, that's not cool. You guys have to cut that out. <laughs> yeah. Will's going to be super excited because his entire, uh, Stormcast force is based on the idea that they worship Dracothian as opposed to Sigmar. So oh, there you go. So there is even now official lore to support that. Um, and then there was seemingly just a random story about the, uh, anyway, one of the subgroups of the Seraphon, Dracothian's Tail is the name that I was th- uh, blinking on. Uh, they're fighting forces of Nurgle, and right at the end, they make mention of it, like having stopped the destruction of a mortal town or city and saving a character named Garadin, mm-hmm. uh, which didn't ring any bells for me. Is that a character we're supposed <gasps> to know? Oh man, you're leading into what a good, what a fun segue. Good job, Phil. Um, so before I answer your question, uh, let me answer your question with another question from a listener. Uh, a listener goes by the name of Darth Alec from our Discord. Yes, uh, we're starting. We're, we're starting. Get ready for the questions, listeners. Um, I gotta do the whole spiel because everybody loves it. I don't know if they do. I'm joking. Um, I love we it. have listener questions. The show's full of listener, listener questions. It makes it's the whole reason I get out of bed every morning so we can answer these questions in the show. And if you yourself, listener, want to get questions on the show, it's really easy. It's real simple. Just remember these insert number here steps uh first step number one <laughs> hang out in the discord every single day all day in night actually too it's not just a daytime thing sometimes i'm up late and i think oh we gotta ask some questions so uh hang out in the discord and, and like a thief in the night i will come unannounced to asking if anybody has any questions that they want us to talk about on the episode you never know what's going to come which is why i have to stay there all day uh you'll have since you have nothing else to do while you sit in the discord all day, because there's nothing else going on other than this, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you have listed out all sorts of questions. You've just been dying to ask us and you rattle them off into the discord and I collect them, harvest them like wheat. And then I make (laughs) my bread, which is this episode. Uh, and we ask those questions here. I'm running out of ways to describe it. Frankly, it's, it's the jokes kind of run its course. Um, but Darth Alec asks, does Gardas get a mention? Um, presumably in this in this battle tome and phil if you forgot what your question was you're saying who's this garrison fella in the city of demez demez it begins with the d and there's a bunch of s's in it yeah um it was that mortal that is gardas steel and had the seraphon not rolled up saved this dude's life uh who's to say whether or not he ever would have been reforged one day um and if gardas hadn't Walked these mortal realms. Uh, who, I think the world would have been a, a worse off place for it, uh, and so it goes to show that Gardas, I think, presumably had some strong element in the great plan, or at least someone thought that he did, uh, and it was even yeah. worth saving. There's yeah. a there's an earlier section, uh, kind of in introducing the the Seraphon, talks about this thing called the Astro Matrix, which is sort of the weaving of all magics and ley lines and things throughout the mortal realms, and that it's one of those things that the Seraphon perceive and can uh, uh, manipulate where other beings can't. But one of the things it says is that there are kind of echoes of names that bounce around or repeat or come up again and again. 
and there were four names that they had in this little list. Uh, Vendensed was a name that bounced around in the fates. Uh, Lyrior, uh, and then uh, Broad, which is uh, King of the Gargants, right? And then lastly, Gardas was one of those names that comes up in the fate. So it's definitely second reference to being part of you know the great plan or having some piece in it. Seems like uh, it seems odd to me to compare some of these names. Like Gardas is like a big name, but like I don't know the Vendents. Like they're hum- they're going to die soon. Like that's hmm. how important they're going to end up being. Hey, um, Liri- maybe they'll be reforged. Uh, well, maybe yeah. Lirior is the um, the Lord Regent of. Uh, the Venari of the Lumineth. So he's that dude who's on, he's like that named character who's on that mountain. Got it. Like, um, so that's why he's a big deal. Uh, uh, cool. So whew, checked off one question, G- guys, spoiler alert for the rest of this episode. Darth Alec has a lot of them. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Darth I mean, Alec. you've, you've told him uh, to shape his life around sitting in the discord, asking questions. And he has. He's nothing, <laughs> not obedient. Uh, he literally uh, has anyway. to listen in the middle of the night because he's from Europe. So, you know, it's, he's doing mm. exactly what you asked. Thank you so very kindly. Um, and, and and so does everyone else who's about to ask questions in this episode. Uh, do you guys have other stories from this era, from the AG cast that you guys want to chat about that jumped out at you? So I like the uh, Endless Enmity story. Um, so it talks about a star master, Pochi Mok, and he's mortally wounded. Pochi. Right. Like, how cute is that? Come on. Like, Pochi Mok is that on, on like a Studio Ghibli name. Everybody's supposed <laughs> to be asking, where's Pochi Mok? Um, where's Pochi Mok? So um, he realizes that he's not going to live forever, right? Which to Aslan is a pretty significant realization, right? In year, in year 10,024 of his life. In the year mm-hmm. 10,000. Um, so uh, he also talks about how chaos can't be surrendered to. So he actually gathers Slan, who have suffered similar grave wounds, and he leads his, quote, extinctionists to establish mm. temple cities within regions believed almost fully lost to chaos. And so basically, these are um, Slan who have intentionally decided to sacrifice their lives for, not to go 240K, the greater good. And then in preparing for that have become um, these mummified priests just like croak is um so i I thought that was a a cool little lore thing to number one justify the lich priest aspect of the uh slan but also to uh just make this like sliver um faction like i think it's super interesting when you introduce these little tiny details um like we had the the completely racist characters in excelsis who wanted to kill all the elves right like that to me is interesting and adds so much flavor to the lore and to the world. So th- I thought this was super cool because it added that little bit of flavor and that little bit of interest. Comma froggies. Yeah. Uh, two, two thoughts on your note. Uh, one, I think the most interesting part of that story was the fact that the reason that they even went to go like sacrifice themselves in the first place is because they know that when they die, the Slan, their followers are going to go feral, right? And they're worried that like, if well, if I die somewhere where they'll cause collateral damage. That's not going to, you know, contribute to the great plan. And also they, not only do they bring, you know, it's a group of slum, but it's, it's their followers as well. Knowing that when they drop their, their, their army or whatever is going to go hog wild on whatever is still around. And so like, at least they know that like, if they lose control, they're losing in control in a place where it'll do some benefit. It'll do damage to the great enemy, which um, I thought was pretty neat. Um, 
And then I was going to bring this up later, but since you talk about it here, I think this this Seraphon book, I think, does a pretty good job in these these little uh, timeline stories uh, of both hitting the, the high marks of the big you know things that need to be talked about in a timeline. But they they sprinkle quite a bit of the the weird and the odd stories in here, which I feel like sometimes it's hit and mit, hit or miss in some of these newer battle tomes, and that they don't get to, they don't get weird enough. And I think the Seraphon mm-hmm. does some cool weird stuff. Um, so it's it's to that credit and to that end my favorite story at least in the age of chaos is that um the deep can are swimming around um and saying maybe in hish or some, some other <laughs> i think it is hish um and they're trying to set up a new uh, enclave somewhere and they come in and they, they are swimming around they find this um chasm uh that they want to set up shop in and they see that there's this ornate you know architecture baked into the wall some some seawall or something like that and they're like oh that's weird and they go to investigate but then these half reptilian half amphibian creatures come swimming out and drive them off or you know eliminate or wipe them out or what have you it's it's underwater seraphon and if i'm talking about how i like these weird little stories here's an example of hey what what does seraphon look like when they've been kicking it underwater for so long right um Mm -hmm. they talk the book talks about how seraphon can somehow uh adapt to their environment or specifically kind of like how do they adapt to the realms but that doesn't mean they can't adapt in other ways and uh these underwater seraphon seem very cool so like what a neat idea. Uh, yeah. What a weird idea. And I love, let's get more of that stuff. So very cool. Do you want, do you want to do a deep dive on that? <laughs> <laughs> let's stay in the shallows and move on. Well, so the deep dive is, the reason I like this story is because this is a callback to Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Um, this actual god was named in um, Lustria, and he was the god of a temple city that had been flooded and his lizard men were half underwater, half reptiles, so half amphibian, half reptiles. So this is a direct callback to a city that existed in the old world. And so I love huh. that because that's a tiny piece of lore to bring forward that I thought, think is super cool. And now we have so many more kits. I think you could actually do some sweet kit bashing if you really put your mind to it. So And there's a lot of like fins for the deepkin that you could just swap. You could steal those fins. Yeah. Who doesn't want skinks on turtles? I mean, the, seek, the seekers uh, are very seahorsey. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah. Salanishi mm-hmm. ones, so there's a lot of bits off of there that could work. True, true, true. Yeah. Um, well, just think uh, Bastilodon and whatever the turtle is for the deepkin, right? Like, oh, it's a shelled thing that, like, mm-hmm. you, yeah. you could do something with that for sure. Um, but don't, I swear to God, don't you do it. Don't, don't you dare. <laughs> yeah, look at look at you coming up with some uh, army yeah. conversions. Episode over. I'm done with this. Click. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, other Age of Chaos stories or thoughts that you guys want to chat about? Well, I just thought it was a good point here to mention that they elaborate a little bit more about the coalesced. Um, so the Seraphon who have sort of lived for a long enough period of time in the actual realms, not on the ships. And that they uh, clarified that they take on attributes of the magic of those realms. Um, the uh, Starborn are infused with Azurite magic, which is why they have the sort of celestial appearance. Um, but they made a point of saying that the Seraphon who live in the realms take on sort of the identity of the realms. So if they live in Gur, for instance, they're going to be much more bestial. Um, and I think it was hinted at previously that they sort of become adapted to the realm, but they, they didn't quite 
make that connection of like they're being infused with the magic of that realm. Yeah. Uh, and this is jumping ahead a little bit. I won't dive too much into the topic, but like some of the new stuff that's come out, like, although very clearly, like distinctly a Seraphon thing, they have a little bit of characteristics of different realms uh, baked into their, like their lore, at least, if not the models themselves. And we'll talk about those later, but you know, Azurian, or not Azurian, um, Axian or Olguian. Yep. <laughs> um, got it in one. Uh, so yeah. we'll talk about that later. Uh, all right, cool. So then I might, Unless any other AJKS thoughts, or I'm going to go to Age of Sigmar. Get ready. Here it comes. Let's do it. All right. So, Age of Sigmar, lightning bolts, lightning bolts, lightning bolts. You guys, um, did you learn anything about these early days? Anyways, let's keep let's keep it early. Early days, Age of Sigmar, uh, or were there any really stories? But I, I know there's not too many stories. But we'll, we'll ask anyways uh, from this time frame that you guys wanted to chat about. I felt like a lot of the stuff here was stuff that we had before. Um, maybe told in slightly different ways, but it's a lot of the same stories. Um, Seraphon working alongside Stormcast, Seraphon setting up shop in some of the cities of Sigmar. Um, but I don't remember there being anything particularly new or interesting. Sure. I mean, to that end, Darth Alec had asked, um, is the Seraphon slash a Stormcast relation expanded on? Um, now seems as good a time as any to ask that question. Did you guys feel whether here or elsewhere in the book that that relationship was, was for like, I'm just going to say it again, expanded on uh, in any way? I think, I mean, it very clearly said that uh, for human allies, they were, would be just as willing to snuff them out if they were going against the plan. Uh, though it seemed like the Stormcast, because they live longer and have considerably more power, they, they considered them, I, don't, I wouldn't say equals, but certainly of more value or benefit. True, true, true. Which I think is always, and not to say you weren't saying this, but I feel like that's always been the case. I don't know that anything yeah. has been expanded beyond that much. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts? I think what we do see, and it's sprinkled throughout as more just flavor rather than like, here's exactly how this relationship works, is just seeing like little tableaus of, you know, larger stories where it's like, and here's an example of Seraphon doing something with Stormcast. Um, there's one that I don't remember if it was just one of those little side blurbs that shows up, um, but it was specifically an Astral Templar um, and a Saurus warrior fighting together and like written in a short story format where it was like there's sort of a, a break in the fighting and Stormcast tries to talk to the Saurus and he's just like, yeah, whatever, completely ignoring them. And then, uh, I think it was a she. Uh, anyway, Stormcast is like... Praha Undermain was her name. Yeah, and it's like, okay, I killed this many. Uh, I think they're fighting orcs. And then that seems to get the attention of the Saurus warrior. And then he like slaps his tail on the ground to count how many he killed. And it was like, that's the thing that they could connect about. And I thought that was pretty uh, funny little way of like tying the Astral Templar specifically together with the Saurus because Astral Templars are all about being the beast killers and fighters and sort of have that, that warrior mentality, which the Saurus are kind of in that same vein. Classic uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. I mean, it's definitely that, that exact reference, but... I actually did a quick Google search on the name because it rang a bell. And so like Thundermane, um, 
I, I got one little thing where somebody else had painted up a Night Quester from like GW Manchester forever ago, um, which I thought was kind of cool that they had like somehow incorporated that. But then also in the Magic game they released um, for Age of Sigmar, a Thundermane is actually an Azirite lion. So I thought that was super cool um, to have that direct com- in, like connection. Um, so hmm. um, so it's and that's, a, that's all. It was a little cool thing. Nice. Well, neat. Um, any other, well, any other uh, age, early Age of Sigmar thoughts that jump out at you? Or is this pretty, it, does this remain fairly unchanged to what we know already? It's the most similar. Most similar, yep. that's true. Uh, well, although that's true, uh, what will give it a run for its money is the uh, Time of Tribulation Soul Wars area, <laughs> or, uh, which is to say remaining very similar, because I don't know that we have much more here either. Um no. That seems to be the trend with these books, which makes sense, right? It's a it's an era that was dove pretty that we dove pretty deeply in in the second edition battle tomes, and so it, 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 why rehash what has been so very clearly covered previously? Um, so there's one little story just to make sure that you didn't forget that it happened um, in this timeline. But I don't know that there was too much more to add, unless you guys can think of anything that I'm missing. No, no, there's cool. not, Let's not much to say. gloss right over to the new stuff, the sweet new third edition eras that Broken Realms Age of Beasts. So there hasn't been a Seraphon book since this stuff dropped. So it covers a fair bit of ground, right? There's some A bit of story has happened uh, since then. Um, I will ask, back to the way I normally ask these questions, is first before we get into stories broadly, what does the... Uh, the Broken Realms Age of Beasts time frame, what does that mean for the Seraphon? I feel like there's some, some high points, some interesting things that are the Seraphon are interacting with. What do you guys think are the most interesting stuffs that is happening in this time frame for the, the lizard men? Hit me. So I feel like they're being fairly reactive at this point, or at least the majority of the Seraphon. Um, they seem like they're caught off guard with Kragnos coming back. And... Previously, they were like, we're just going to do our thing. We're going to keep working towards the great plan. And then they're like, oh, man, this is going to mess up all of our plans if we don't do something. So they have to like completely shift gears, focus on Gur. Um, it's mentioned in a lot of these little stories that the magic of Gur is having a significant effect on a lot of the Seraphon. And so they're having to work around some of that. Um, but also harnessing it. So um, lots of trying to sort of get back on track and readjust to the new world order, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You uh, you mentioned the, or I think the first thing that jumps out at me is just their reaction to the Kragnos side of things, right? And so again, mm-hmm. I won't rehash all the story beats because we did a whole episode on this stuff. But yes, um, since they were so integral, Lord Croak maybe specifically, and others slain, Slan, <laughs> that's fun, slain Slan. Um, uh, they were there in the beginning, so that they also are, you know, reactive to the uh, the ramifications of him showing up. And so him, it's not even just like a physicality thing, like he's, him just smashing stuff, um, but also what his. Uh, him showing up has done to the Astro Matrix sort of broadly, um, regardless of where he is specifically, just his presence in the realms is, is throwing things for a loop. Um, and so that they have to figure out how to, you know, protect and preserve and things of that nature. Um, uh, there's to the feral aspect of it, right? So like Gurr's in a sentence, the, the magic of, you know, beasts. Well, these guys are literally 
walking animal people, right? Like they don't think of themselves that way. Maybe most people don't think of themselves that way, but at the end of the day, they're lizard dudes. Um, and so, so much of their coalesced identity is like that ferocity and feralness and other efforts. Um, and so it would, if, if, if it's turning people into like killing you know, machines, it's absolutely killing lizard people and or turning lizard people into like killing machines as well. And so um, it spends a fair bit of time talking about like how, and there's some stories here, maybe we can get into specifics, but like how they're losing themselves a little bit and they're losing a little bit of control, which is uh, noteworthy. Um, I'm going to stop there. What other things jumped out at you guys in terms of just broad strokes about the, uh, this age? Uh, there's a uh, question from Chrisling. Ooh, yeah, they do. Uh, asking any reference to the eye of Chotek. Um, uh, I will say they have, uh, in part of the book, they have a specific call out, uh, kind of reiterating what we've heard in a war cry. Uh, the eye of Chotek is a temple ship. It crashed in Gur. Here it says that uh, it isn't the only temple ship, wasn't the first temple ship to crash into Gur, but the most famous and it confirms, not an unreliable narrator, but confirms that it was crashed by, uh, struck from the heaven by Zinch demons, which was a speculatory uh, kind of uh, sprinkle in some mm-hmm. of the war cry stuff. So uh, definitely, um, uh, definitely uh, uh, Zinch demons to blame. And then uh, again, kind of talks about Honorio Ventalax, uh, Talax, who, you know, Comes in and hey, look what I found! I've discovered a ship and named it after me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so very colonial of him. Uh, and uh, then uh, I'll just kind of piggybacking on that. The the hunters of Huanshi are mentioned in their own kind of entry uh, in the in the kind of fighter category and stuff. Which is uh, and what I'll mention there is that and I, I'm going to coin this term. Uh, you are struggling with you know having having characteristics of Olgu, uh, we're going to call that being Olgui. Um, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> that they have that ability to like, uh, f- fade into the shadows and that sort of stuff. So they're all Olgui. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I think that then it also talks about, um, it goes more specific than into the ravening ruin, which is a Zinchian demon attacks Ayachotek and steals the, what's called the codex, Astromantica, an arcane device detailing key nodes of the Astro Matrix. So, some of their uh, tools for navigating or reading or manipulating the Astro Matrix have are now in the hands of of Zinch. Um, uh, so now, uh, and we all know. So the in in Warcry, the uh, Eye of Chotek, the ship is sort of taking the the trope of you know. Uh, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. People are going in to find their treasures and all this kind of lost stuff. I like this. There's a kind of a pattern here where uh, that's the that's the current day Seraphon's treasures in there. The Seraphon are actually after the treasures and hidden artifacts of the old ones that are scattered around uh, the realms and in the void and stuff. So I think there's an interesting just kind of layer of uh who's who sees you know one man's uh garbage is another man's treasure uh right so what the salon might see is their their uh leavings their droppings uh the uh ventilax is like hey that's gold to me yeah so. or 
or literal gold, then books spend some time talking about how the seraphon will offer up gold because it's nothing to them. It's just yeah. shiny rock. <laughs> uh, and it'll, it'll divert or distract uh, people from like the true prize, which is often the old ones stuff, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, which is fun too. Um, also, yeah. uh, just cause I want to circle back. Uh, Tyriel also was wanted to know more about the war cry ship. They, they, they asked what happened to the war cry ship. And so I want to give them yeah. credit. Hey, Tyrell, we didn't forget your question. I saw it. Don't worry. Um, no, I skipped right over it. Kirsling was listed first, so you don't get. Oh, man. I guess I could <laughs> blame it as alphabetical yeah. order, I guess. I mean, do you, um, do you want people to really be on the edge of their seats ready to reply? Then they got to get there first. <laughs> and well, have their honestly, user Tyrell, they might have been. I don't know what order it came in. It's fine. I so there's there's that uh yeah so talking about i feel like that's also uh some the the, the war cry element is a, a newer thing for the seraphon as well due diligence by putting in this book as, as well um other big tent poles for the seraphon in the in the age of beast that you guys want to talk about keep them coming so i had a quick two things um number one is they talk about the cursed skies um but they talk specifically about how the seraphon are actually uh, landing on the underside of the realms. Mm. Yeah. That's so why I, I thought that was super cool. Um, that, that's a thought that has always appealed to me because they show the maps as a plane, right? So what happens on the underside? Turns out that Seraphon um, actually land on the underside. Um, and Do you think gravity works the same way? Like in that, like you would get stuck to the, 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 ceiling of the bottom of the uh, realms and if that's the case is there a whole other realm on the other side of it like a whole other side of a right <laughs> right that's literally my thought goes is like what's going on with this like how is this how does this work where do we where yeah. do we figure this out so because we know you can fall through it's either hish or ogu because they touch each other right like they're they're like butt to butt and so like you can go <laughs> on, like from one to the other uh yeah it's called the butt butt um the other one is just literally just one word is different, but it's super interesting to me because they talk about Bellicor, but instead of calling him a demon prince, they call him a demon lord. And I'm hmm. like, oh, is this a typo or has he actually like ascended to a certain extent and has gained more power? So, would you rather be a prince or a lord, though? I mean, you or a grand marshal lord. Come on, lord. Uh, very neat. Uh, keep them coming, or I'm going to throw more temples at you, and you guys got to react to them. Mm. There. I'll dodge it. I'll dodge it like a pro. All right. Another big thing is the fact that uh, the Draken, I know we mentioned the Kragnos side of things, but on the good guys side of things, that the Draconith are back in action. Uh, the Seraphine has decided, you know what, now's the time. We got to let you loose, uh, let you out of our, you know, hidden uh, sub realms and things like that. So uh, it's Seraphine was sort of integral into the reintroduction of the Draconith uh, to the realm. So that's a big deal. Yeah. I think Phil's got a couple of notes on this whole thing. It, it, it's in a different part of the book, but I think this is appropriate to talk about now. Yeah. I mean, if, if we're going to say it, um, here so they make mention um sort of the so obviously this is something that's actually just an an old idea that was mentioned previously that hey by the way draconith eggs that were left after the kragnos stuff they were just on the ships from seraphon and they were just holding on to them until the time was right well now the time is right they're letting them back out into the world uh draconith have been sort of revived uh, they mention that the Slan throughout the time of having the Draconith eggs there were like using magic to implant visions of the prince of the Draconith fighting chaos to like 
let them know that like, Hey, these are the guys that you don't like, uh, get ready to go fight chaos. Cause that's what we want you to do. That's what you should be doing. Um, I guess we should also make mention, uh, patron Milhern. I hope I didn't completely butcher that. Um, had a question that was specifically asking about if we learn more about the collaboration between the Draconeth and the Seraphon in this book. And obviously the answer is yes, because we've been talking about it for the last couple of minutes. But, um, so that's a very specific example. And then I don't actually remember where it was exactly, but it is mentioned that in, uh, Lord Croak's templeship specifically, there is a pocket realm, uh-huh. Yeah. TM, <laughs> inside, TM, TM, TM. Yeah, TM, TM. Uh, inside the ship that is made to resemble uh, the lands where the Draconith... Fondia in particular. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, it is, is the home world of, or homelands, I guess, of the Draconith, and that they are housing all the remaining Draconith eggs there, and... Uh, and it's actually using a significant portion of Lord Croak's ship's power to do that. And the plan, as they say in this book, is that uh, they are now getting ready to unleash all the rest of them back into the realm of Gur to sort of restart their home. And then they can shut off this pocket realm and have all the power of the ship back, which... It's kind of crazy that this whole time uh, Lord Croak's ship has been doing all this crazy stuff and hasn't even been running at full strength. So that should be interesting. It's it's super interesting because Lord Croak's ship is the one that shoots down the Silver Tower, right? Yep. So like it's the biggest, it's the most powerful, but it also specifically mentions that usually it's up in the upper atmosphere at Wazir, but because it's using so much power, it's not actually able to levitate as high above the realm. So it's actually come down quite a bit. Um, but the other <laughs> thing is the thing that it triggered to me is this sounds like that dueling ring that the Stormcast have to train Stormcast how to fight that was made by Malarian. But this is a realm that's training the Seraphon, what or not the Seraphon, the um Draconith. The Draconith, how to fight and what to believe, but it's being created by the Seraphon. So what is the connection between those two? And if they can create anything, why did they create this, the Fondia of now? Why didn't they create the Fondia of before? Right? Like there's all kinds of questions um, and all kinds of answers that I want to know based on this little story. And then the last quick little thing, and this is going forward slightly, but I talked with Aaron about this earlier today, which is that this is the first time that we have a unit entry for a unit that does not exist on the table. Because when you're going through, you have the lore, and then you have the timeline, and then you have like how the army is organized, and then you have the unit entries. And Croak's ship is actually a unit entry in and of itself. In Lord Croak, Slan Starmaster, you know, moving forward, Agridons, etc., his ship is its own entry. And that's where we get this little detail of, oh, by the way, these are where all the Dragoneth are. So I, I thought that was super interesting and a diversion from previous battle tomes and definitely something new in this battle tome. Whoa. I'm going to clarify for the folks who don't have this book, it's not 
I wouldn't call it a unit entry. It's just a slice of information in between a bunch of unit entries. It, it's I think they didn't have a better place to put it in that. Like when you're talking about it's not a KO ship. Um, so yeah, exactly. It's not like it's to the same degree. It's not like a vehicle that you would um, think. So it's it's it is unique in that like that rarely happens in this stretch where they almost exclusively are just talking about the units in the game. So it is noteworthy in that regard. But I, I, I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't want to confuse people by for them to think that it was a unit entry because it. I mean, it, it isn't. <laughs> what I like about this particular entry is that both mirrors the demigriffs that were always in the forests kind of reveal right a new. Hey, where where do these draconids come from? Oh, they were in the temple ship, and it doubles as a, oh, I've been wearing weighted gloves and uh, had one arm tied behind my back full time. <laughs> They're not left handed. Couple of tropes in one there, uh, which is pretty fun. I know we just heard Aaron walk that back, but I'm not walking that back. We're gonna see his temple ship as a model on the table. I'm calling it son of a god. I mean, you know, 100 <laughs> full well that that will not happen. Listeners, please focus up on me right now. That that isn't gonna happen. Um, uh, you need that. You remember that disclaimer we talked about, Paul? These views are my own. They're not representative of those of the mortal realms. No, it's they're not. true. True. <laughs> um, uh, another tent pole, which is surprising. I'm surprised they spent this much time on it, but uh, sort of on the back half. We're, we're jumping out, or I'm jumping around a lot out of order here, but like uh, the, their reaction to the incarnates is noteworthy. And so this is actually mm-hmm. a specific story, but it is also yeah. a broad stroke thing that's happening in, in the Age of Beasts. And that um, at first, a lot of the salon are thinking, oh, wait, these incarnates coming out of nowhere, there's, they must be disrupt. They must be disruptions to the uh, to the great plan. And in fact, uh, they get real mad at Alariel for causing this stuff, like this disruption. It's, they used to be pals and now they're kind of not pals because they think but that then they're pals again and then well and then they're pals again but they, they think she's caused this disruption to the great plan uh incarnates being sort of a byproduct of that and they're talking about how they want to eliminate them so a bunch of slon are like all right we're gonna nuke these things out of the out of the atmosphere they're about to do so uh but then all of a sudden lord croak rolls up and he says ah, i don't think so uh they let me show you and at, he then summons a bunch of them and directs them at the bad guys, some chaos or something like that. And the, he shows how he can use them to their benefit and says, hey, other Slon, check this out. Uh, they aren't a disruption, but rather something, uh, a tool that can be used to further the great plan um, and don't, you know, don't jump to conclusions. And so this is an example, I think we were po- talking about earlier about how uh, Lord Croak has his own uh, ways of thinking, whether or not, like, I doubt the old ones told him, hey, you know, no millennia from now, keep an eye out for these uh, incarnates. You're going to love them. Um, but generally he's able to interpret and, you know, sort of think on the fly and get creative with, you know, resources that they present themselves. Is at least when, how I I mean, when you're no longer a life live, you're not tied uh, to the things that tied you down in life. You yeah, know, you can just break those barriers. Also that they, they, uh, that wave of life energy revitalized a ton of ships and recharged a bunch of those batteries. So they're like, mm, all right, we ain't mad at you. Yeah. <laughs> but then some of those ships who had been like uh, knocked out or they got just supercharged, too charged, and they start causing too much trouble. And they're like, oh, oh, we got to launch, launch these things again because we got to get them out of here. And so like they start yeah. shooting them off into the sky because they're causing like destruction, like because they were like grounded. Um, and they're like, no, no, these terraforming engines are going wild. Uh, so. It sounds like it sounds like they need to do some sort of like Iron Man, Captain America move, where you know Iron Man shoots his laser and off of Captain's shield and it hits somebody like really powerfully. Like they just need to supercharge. Alero needs to supercharge some lizards and uh, shove them into chaos. Point them, mm-hmm. yeah, point them in the right direction. Point and shoot. Um, all right, so. 
I'm sure some of the yeah. things we've talked about also correlate to like stories in this age, but I'll ask, are there other stories or specific stories related to the things that we've talked about uh, that you guys want to chat about? This is a huge section compared to like some of the other books that we've seen. There's a lot of like AGB stuff. So there's gotta be yeah. something good in here. What Lots guys- of new stuff. There's a very odd story. It almost feels out of place, but um, there is specifically called the highest heavens um, where a slan in his templeship, he he's receiving these visions that convince him that the end of the old world was not, in fact, uh, somehow a destruction of chaos, but in fact was Sotek swallowing the old world and forcing a new uh, age and new philosophy onto the seraphon and like hashtag Paul theories. Go ahead. <laughs> and, and was, uh, like leading them towards trying to adopt this, like ability to become pure energy or something like that. Like, it was very strange. Like, it was like, what is this? And then all of a sudden they say, and, and then he like just disappeared and nobody sees him again or his temple ship. And they're just gone. Um, so I feel like they're seeding something with this, um, but it, they're going to bring back dream dinos later when it's more palatable. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, I like, this is what I mean. It, it just feels very strange, but it, it is interesting that they do make reference to Sotek. And, and I guess this is something that we haven't talked about much yet, but uh, the different old ones. And then I guess Sotek's not an old one, but um a new different seraphon gods have a much more prevalent place in this book and get talked about a lot more um which is both cool and um a, a pretty significant departure um so something to watch there um something that's not quite so out in left field though they talk a lot in this segment about sort of the beastification if you will of the seraphon and specifically the saurus and the different dinosaurs um so there's multiple different uh mentions of like you know being particularly aggressive and you know having well let's see there's there's specifically an an entry that talks about some skink priests that were being guarded by saurus guard and like the magic of Gurge overcame all these Saurus guard and they ended up actually like ripping apart these skinks and the Slon had to basically cull these out of control Saurus. Um, and so that, that was kind of another wake up call for the Slon to be like, we got to do something about this. This Gur place is out of control. Uh, what other stories do you guys do you want to talk about? To go, to go back to Darth Alex's question, there's a small story that has reference to more Stormcast and interacting with this Seraphon. Um, is a story in reference to the Necroquake and a Slon who is basically sick from the, I don't remember what they called it, but it was basically the, like, death energies from the necroquake and they ended up teleporting this uh stormcast um oh man i should have taken notes as to what type of stormcast he was uh 
But anyway, one of the priest ones. Yeah, I forget. And the skinks had to like basically try to communicate with him to be like, hey, could you try and help heal our bud here? And then like also placate these sorists that are like trying to guard him while he's dying from this curse. Um, so I guess the the whole point of this story is to sort of show that like, hey, they're not above asking for help. And specifically they will, <laughs> I guess, actually abduct Stormcast to help them. <laughs> Yeah, right. It was a, a like an alien abduction, like like yeah. sucked him up in a beam of light. You expect yep. Stormcast to get lightning bolted to like his ear, but no, no, no. This one got sucked up to a ship instead. Uh, he was a Lord Relictor, by the way, who I think like Relictor. have healing rain or something like that. I can't remember. It's been mm -hmm. um, healing storms. Yeah, uh, very cool. Uh, the story that we were talking about before, where like the the um, the Seraphon had to go under the realms because of the cursed sky. It's noteworthy that the fact they even cared is because uh, the salon whilst under the effect of like the cursed guys had a hard time like summoning or like uh, interacting with like the celestial star-based powers yeah. that they have, uh, which I think is one of the first times that we've seen another race that weren't stormcast get messed up by the cursed skies or like have a, like an acute case of this sucks itis. Um, and so <laughs> whether or not cursed guys are, you know, uniquely messing with like Azurian based folks or it's just messes with anybody who's good, I guess. I don't know. But um, I can't remember other races uh, having to do, like having to react or do something about it. Where in this case, the Seraphon literally flipping to the other side of the world, which everything's bizarro and backwards. And um, I, I want to see stories from the under, under realms, not underworlds. That's a different thing. No, very different <laughs> so, entirely. Yeah. Um, the the story a celestial shield um brings back uh or reemphasizes that the vendensed are in fact um bouncing around the astro matrix their name their their purpose uh and it talks about them uh, uh let's see it is gallon and duralia vendense that's father daughter i believe right yep mm -hmm. um and they're investigating murder scene they get uh uh kind of pounced on by vampires when out of the blue then flashing light and darts and spears and whatnot come down and they say a uh, they're the tips of the spears smeared with the venom of star cephalopods uh so you know like octopus and, and squid ink type venom i guess i don't know any cephalopods that have venom but you know here it is well, you don't know any of the space ones yeah that's but uh at the end they clear out and as they're leaving um the star priest hakto uh, informs Duralia that the serpent god watches her with interest, but doesn't say that to her dad. Uh, <laughs> and he's, he's a little miffed about that. Uh, so, so uh, yeah. So uh, specifically, Duralia Vendensed has uh, it has a has a star faded uh, person. Uh, listeners, you you guys tell me. I don't know if this is a scene from the most recent Vendensed novel. Oh, it's not. It is not. Uh, they it's didn't not have from any, any of the stories? show up that I've that I've seen yet. No, they definitely go out of the city. They definitely fight a vampire. I don't think it's of this specific branch, um, but I, I don't recall any Seraphon showing up in this novel. That's the crazy. Atropi so, um, Dynasty vampires. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and I don't know what the Atropi Dynasty is either. Um, so, no, nope, um, it's a new. Yeah, maybe mm -hmm. it is a future story that would be interesting could be. it could be uh, it's i mean it's certainly a call back to some of the stuff from broken realms where there was some skink priest who is 
talking to uh, the Vendents and basically using them as a communication method with folks inside Excelsis. Correct. Um, so I guess trying to keep that thread connected, I, I suppose. Yeah. It, I, I don't know. It, it's interesting. Um, I've always liked Sotek, so especially in the old world, and so now he's making it in the new world, which is super cool. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that this specifically has a mention in any of the lore, so I'd be very intrigued to see how it kind of goes moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Um, any other AGB 3.0 type stories or thoughts or contributions? So uh, patron of the show, Neil Hearn, asked the question, do the Seraphon protect the Dawnbringer Crusades or do they destroy mm-hmm. those who don't follow the plan? Good question. Yes, yes. and no and yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, do they destroy people who don't follow the plan? Absolutely. There's one thing where like Lord Krog shows up and he's like, that settlement's not supposed to be there. And so they go and destroy it. And they're like, we didn't know if we were actually supposed to destroy it or if it was like supposed to be a quarter mile down river. Like, but it wasn't supposed to be there. So we destroyed it. Right. Um, but at the same time, there is a short story uh, we were just talking about the Thundermaid where they're literally defending a Dawnbringer settlement from orcs because this Dawnbringer settlement is supposed to be there. So, yes, mm-hmm. both okay. and. A big part of the current plan is to capture and take control of Leyline Nexuses. Uh, they want to control the best ones themselves, but for minor ones, they will lean on the Dawn Crusaders, the Dawnbringer Crusaders, to capture other ones and be able to use that kind of collective force to their own end. So. And sometimes they'll make their presence known. They'll let them know that, like, hey, you've got Seraphon allies. But sometimes they'll be, be real secretive about it. They'll leave a trail of, like, you know, dead or something like that to, like, lead the Dumbriggers in the right direction. Um, uh, what fortune? What fortune? More <laughs> dead things. Um, so, and the Dumbringer proceeds will be none the wiser. Yeah. It reminds me of that story um, that was in a previous um, Age of Sigmar story where uh, the Stormcasters sitting there defending a realm gate. And they're like, oh, the Seraphon are showing up. And then they literally run past them, go through the yep. room gate, and disappear. I <laughs> <laughs> got many flashbacks of that story. See you guys. Yep. Um, they also do make mention that for Dawnbringer settlements that are already located in particularly important places that need to be defended, sort of at all costs, they will station Soros there permanently, or at least long enough that they become somewhat of a permanent fixture in that town. Um, and they basically just stand like statues on guard all the time. And people just kind of have to deal with that. Um, but they are there to help protect the city. So and I guess people are willing to be cool with that because, like, hey, they're going to help keep us safe, I guess. Who doesn't love super sweet art that eventually shows up and kills you all? I mean, who doesn't love that? <laughs> what, choice, what choice do they have? Yeah. Um, all right. Let's hop out of this timeline stuff. Let's talk about the race for uh, not time specific. I don't know. That's a weird way. That's a weird segment. Um, so let's talk about uh, just the faction, how they live and how they work. Um, Darth Alec was wanting to know uh, if we do we get the satisfaction or no, do we get satisfaction for what the Starborn actually are now? Um, he's asking, hey, it, it's been, we sort of talked about it at the top of the episode of like, it, it's been up for debate. It's been unclear what Starborn are. A lot of people have had a lot, have had a lot of different opinions um, about 
uh, what Starborn Seraphon are. Um, has anything changed in this book, or was it was it has it been settled uh, in in previous books as to what these Starborn are? Do you guys have any thoughts? So we definitely talked about this at the beginning of the episode. Um, it is now confirmed that the Starborn are just the Seraphon who are still living on the ships, empowered by the energy of Azir. They don't have any particular temple cities on any particular realm. They're just flying around still. Those are the Starborn. Um, but they are still spawned Seraphon. They still live inside the ships as real beings. They're not just dreams or like conjured energy. And they live inside the ships in like a facsimile of the old world jungles inside the temple ships i don't know that like a terrarium yeah i don't know if it's clarified specifically if like those jungles are also like pocket realms inside the ships or if the ships are just big enough to have a whole jungle ecosystem inside them my guess would be the latter because they really made it a point to talk about how hard it was to do the former so it seems as if the latter yeah that was my guess too is that they're just gigantic and they're just like you know here here's the jungle where they live inside the ship um so yeah i mean that that is now very concrete that the starborn are just itinerant seraphon, whereas the coalesced are the ones who are actually tied down to specific temples. Real, real terrestrial. And they show a map of the realms and they have icons that show the different temple ships. They don't name them uh, necessarily all of them, but there's around 24 of them around the different realms. Yeah. With the highest concentration around Azir. But. Well- that was a super th- interesting thing for me, having read all the other battle tomes to this point um, for 3.0, is that every other battle tome has had one realm, and they show you a part of that realm and say, this is where the race is based. And in this one, they show you a map of all nine realms. Yeah. And then they say, this is where they are based within the nine realms. So I thought that was cool. I thought that was a really small signal that really represented what the race actually means and how they're this space-faring race as opposed mm-hmm. to a ground-based race, is, which isn't everything else. So They, they etheric avoided that pattern. <laughs> yep. There you go. Sure they, they, they avoided that pattern. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I love every time, I, I always make it a point to like note for each battle tome where the map is because I feel like that informs it tells you a lot about the army when they show you they, when they pick which map they choose uh, and to your point I was like w- what a surprise to see that this is not yet a, a specific realm but all the realms um, good choice uh, for the Seraphon that makes the most sense um, well, but also at the same time I was a little disappointed because I was like maybe we're going to get a map of us here no mm. it's, it's, I mean it's never once been yeah. a new map I don't think <laughs> or a map of a temple ship it's a bit of a juxtaposition from the last tome, though, where they really focused on Gur and pointing out where Coatl's Claw, which is the like crashed group of Seraphon coalesced are, um, that are headed by a Saurus Old Blood because their uh, Slan is dying, um, and they like really focused in on them in the last book, and in this book, it's like, hey, let's zoom out again and focus on everybody. Zoom. 
So I don't know why I said that out loud. And this is a podcast. You can't just say nonsense like that. Um, we do it hey, all the time. What are you talking about? Last hour. Uh, <laughs> Normally I say questions like this for the uh, for later in the episode, but I'm bringing it up now because we're talking about uh, Starborn and Coalesce to some degree. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, Domir, patron of the show. Thank you very much, Domir. Uh, they want to know, would you rather be Coalesced or Starborn? Let's make it quick because we got a lot, of, a lot of ground to cover. But real quick, around the horn. Paul, would you rather be Coalesced or Starborn? I would rather be coalesced because I think you get better food. Okay, cool. Uh, Eric, mm. starborn or coalesced? Coalesced. They say that because they're outside of Azir, they're freer thinkers and more artistic. Oh, okay. Well, that sounds terrible. Uh, Phil, coalesced or <laughs> starborn? Uh, I'll say starborn because they get to fly around in cool ships. You're darn right. Uh, starborn is the right answer. What are you talking about? You're hanging out in Azir. You're just absorbing. Like You're basically in heaven, right? Like Recycled air. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's my favorite type of air. Thank you. Yeah. You have walls on your jungle? I mean, come on. You're a caged animal just raging against the machine, literally. Yeah. That's never, just summed up my life, man. Never has yeah. to go outside, has everything he needs right inside that starship. That's true like, for him. Um, like, it's, it's literally a basement in the sky. And if I, never, <laughs> and if I cared, I, I built my own inside jungle, man. Like, it's if, a, if it mattered to me, I would go do, I just go walk into that. Um, it's uh, a spaceman. Yes. Yeah. How many trees have you built That's to right. create this jungle in your basement? I mean, just think about where you had a jungle in the basement. Okay. Uh, enough. Um, next, uh, let's talk about the old ones. And uh, we've uh, we scratched a slight surface on it, but we're going to dive into it now because this is a brand new thing. Sure. I think it's one of the most interesting parts of the book, Sage Mud, uh 14. They ask, how many old ones are named in this book? Uh, good question. Maybe it's, it's, it's as if you knew that this was coming, but I don't know how you could have. Um, they spend time talking about the old ones. I knew nothing about the old ones before we walked into this one, um, but they rattled off like six uh, old ones and they talk, or I mean, you know, they, they talk at length about them. I didn't ask you guys before this episode to bring up or like to think about who your favorites are, but this is, yeah. I love a list and I love picking favorites out of a list. And so I, maybe off the cuff, I might ask you guys if you had any favorites of these old ones that you wanted to chat about. I cut you off, Paul, so keep going if you want to. Run with so it. normally I would say all the old ones, but it's Sage King, so I know he would know exactly how many old ones there are and that we're missing some. Sure. But my favorite old one is uh, definitely going to be Sotek. He's always been my favorite old one because sure. he is the the old one of the skinks. Um, um, pause real quick because Darth Alec asked a question about it too. So uh, Sage Mutt was asking, Sage Mutt was asking all about all the old ones. Darth Alec asked about Sotek specifically, saying, "What's their relationship to Sotek now? Is he a god, an old one, gone, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Keep going, Paul. Go. No, he is definitely not gone. He is completely revived. I mean, you can't have that awesome storm of chaos priest, uh, skink priest that they had, uh, where he had all the the snakes and stuff. But beyond that, yes, he's definitely still here. He is giving his blessing to so many different skinks. It's amazing. It's not the Southlands, but it's super cool. And I think it will hopefully show up to be something similar in the future. For all those who don't know what I'm talking about, it's from Warhammer Fantasy Battles and the Southlands where where the, the Slon didn't exist and the Saurus were super rare. So it was skink-only society. And so that's always mm-hmm. been my favorite flavor of Seraphon. So... Um, what do we know about Sotek though, as a as a person, like a deity or or a thing? Um, what what are the what are some well, of their hallmarks? Um, the big thing is that um, all of the skinks that are born under his sign have red crests. Um, so in Storm of Chaos, you got all these rules for different crests, and and the red crests were specifically the ones um, that were for the skinks. 
Um, so, so Sotek believes that sacrifice and blood are necessary to grease the great plans mechanisms. So ironically for the smallest thing in the army, you have to kill the most things. Um, so some even view Dracothian as an aspect of Sotek born from his molted skin. Like how cool is that statement? I love that statement. Um, and as always, he hates the horn rat because in Lustria, he was going after Skaven. You know what? It's the Middle Realms. And you know what he's doing? Still going after Skaven. So mm-hmm. he's the same good old Sotek. So yes, he's definitely still around. He's definitely still cool. I'm done. Yeah, and the book makes it a point to say, because Darth, I was asking specifically, is he a god, an old one? What, what do we think he is? Um, it, it says that he's unusually, he is not considered to be an old one, in fact, but rather he's the embodiment of like the Seraphon race is the way I'm, like an incarnate soul, incarnated soul of the Seraphon. So, I mean, is that better or worse than old one? I guess I don't know what the hierarchy is, but like it really seems like he's got primacy amongst all the other like old one. I feel like old one and deities to some degree like starting to become synonymous um and but this is like almost a separate he's he's set apart uh because of his you know role he's worshipped more by the skinks yeah Yeah, aaron is going to try and walk this back but i'm going to go in full-fledged he is an old one flat and 100 percent. even though aaron is reading directly from the battle this is not unreliable narrator this is uh this is Paul theory. Not considered. So I mean, you could. There's some wiggle room there. He's not considered to be an old one. So like, who, who's to say? Who's who's doing the considering? Um, my favorite part with for like the Skaven animosity is like Skaven have like an in, uh, like it's in their DNA that whenever they see the red crest, they uh, they're very afraid. Like it's it's baked into their you know their instincts um, generationally to be afraid of the the red crest, which is cool. Which is kind of interesting that that would carry over for the Skaven from. The old world. We don't. I don't think we usually talk a lot about other races in the Age of Sigmar carrying anything over from the old world. But if they remember Sotek somehow in their DNA, like uh, then that that must have carried over. Yep, very well could be. Yep. A primal dread, which is interesting. Um, and it's also worth noting that the skinks think that since this age beast is very, you know, ferocious and primal and whatever, they think this is a Sotek like awakening and, and driving, you know, a certain element of this ferociousness out in the world. Um, it's good. The, the, the battle will reach new heights. Uh, other old ones that you guys want to talk about? Uh, I'll throw, uh, Huanchi up there because with the, uh, hunters of Huanchi, I just thought it was like, you know, oh, cool name, but turns out Huanchi is the predator. Mm. Um, and, uh, is, uh, able to, is the, the God of, uh, stealth and secretness, um, secretivity, um, if that's even a word. Um, and the, they talk about the chameleon skinks embodying, um, and worshiping and worshiping, uh, Huanchi above all it says he takes the form of kind of a panther like hunter, which is interesting that it's a not non reptilian, uh, God, other, I'm sure that you could probably create. You know, we got we got um, Dracolines, which are sort of like uh, lizard cats. So maybe it's like that. Um, hey, that'd be kind of a cool thing to add to the army too. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, they are primary temples are nestled deep within the shade forest of Ulgu. Uh, they're very Ulgui, um, and uh, and so yeah, it's kind of cool that th- this one's not as broad as uh, uh, Sotek. Um, but has has a very kind of niche 
specific space that you know we've we've seen that with through introduced through Warcry, um, and now uh, we're seeing it here. Phil, I hate to put you on the spot, but did you have an old one that besides Sotag probably uh, that you were drawn to or you found interesting? Well, I find them all very interesting. Um, I think all of this is very fresh lore, so it's it's cool to see it uh, sort of. Uh, given more time here um but i have always liked a lot of the bigger dinos in the army and itzel the tamer is the old one who is connected most with the uh mounts that the seraphine use um and so he is the is described as being the most bestial of the old ones um and so he is uh most popular in gur and they even say that he is accepted as a minor deity by the resurgent Draconith. So yeah. interesting little tie in there. Um, and uh, he is seen to be a protector god against the Drogrook. Um, so some some cool retconning there for the Draconith. Um, and, and always fun to have uh, some nice story tie-ins if you wanted to do some, you know, Path to Glory stuff where you were able to justify like, well, why does this army have all these, you know, dinosaur monsters instead of a whole bunch of skinks or something? And it's like, well, they follow Eatsell and, you know, it's just, it adds that extra layer for the army where you can sort of ground them and say like, they're doing this thing because of X and X has a name and I can point to a thing in the book to justify why my army does what they do. Um, which I think is something that all the armies need because being able to write compelling stories has to have grounds in some sort of uh, rooting in the world. Um, and I feel like until now, a lot of the Seraphon were kind of abstract. It was hard to have very well thought out uh, stories for them. Yeah, too true. Um, the one I'll bring up, maybe even my favorite, it's tough to say, uh, is, is Chotek, the Invigorator. Um, uh, one of the new units and we'll talk about later is the Spawn of Chotek, which is the, uh, the fire breathing replacement for Salamander. Yeah, the Salamander. Um, but the reason this is interesting to me is uh, that it's, uh, he's a patron of sort of the Lord of the Sun, bringer of day. So it's bright things, basically, uh, which is an element that I don't know, isn't necessarily as focused on, I think, as the army uh, up until it's sort of bringing up Chotek currently um, has an affinity or his followers have an affinity towards sometimes Hish, but a lot more action, uh, which reminds me of how Huanchi is sort of. Uh, related to Ogu to some degree, right? There's the, the uh, shared elements. And so Chotek uh, related to Akshi, which I really love having these de- deities who are not explicitly of the realms or related to specific realms, but I love when things match. I love when there's, uh, you know, patterns and things of that nature. So Chotek really stands out to me as, as another example of that. Um, his followers uh, love gold. We were talking about gold earlier, not because it's worth anything, because who cares? But like, it just is shiny and bright. And I don't really think of Seraphon as like, you know, tellers who just like shiny things but like it it it, because it reflects light and brightness is that's why they um it sort of factors into their you know worship of this guy um and uh they're they're orange which contributes to the coloring of what we're talking about this brightness and they uh have a bit of uh, a pyro a pyro element as well and the pyromantic uh arts which um i'm a big fan of as well so i think this is a, a cool one um 
Sagemuth's question was how many old ones are named. There's actually six of them in the book. They also, I'm just going to keep going so we can get through it. Um, they also mentioned Quetzal the Preserver, who's more of a, is a protector uh, deity uh, for the Seraphon. Yeah. And there's Tepak the Seer, which I think um, is sort of the, the magic mystic one, um, who has like a, I don't know how to say, the, a codal, quadal, quadal uh, uh, view as well. So this flying feathered snake um, as well. So, there's, um, there's a brief mention that Quetzal might have a brother, Quetli, the keeper of future paths, but it's disputed. So can't that's an unreliable narrator. The only deal in the concrete facts here on the, the moral realms. So, um, so, so uh, these are six more old ones than I knew before, <laughs> than I knew before. Um, so and, uh, yeah. there's, there's even more than this, but um, it's a great, great introduction to the old ones. Do you guys have more thoughts? I think all these names are directly, I mean, we know some of them are coming from the old world, but I think all of these actually just come straight out of the old world lore and are just being reseeded into the Age of Sigmar, which is nice to be able to just say like, hey, this is basically the same army as it used to be. Like it's it's got new elements, but it's still the same guys on the ground, uh, same belief structures and stuff. Let's say boots on the ground, but they've never wore a boot in their life. No. I think what they're really doing is that they're bringing in the old to restabilize the new. If that makes yep. sense, yeah, right. And 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 to me, that's a, a great way of grounding the army, right? Because if there was one thing that I think the army, this army, coalescing it, even, did, yeah, they're coalescing it, right, or coalescing depending on uh, your perspective, um, is they did need to have a more firm grip on the realms. And I think including the old ones, including um, just all these other little stories really does that. And I, I, I think it's got, it's great and awesome. So. Sure, sure, sure. All right. Uh, talked about sort of their culture, their society a little bit. Um, did do we have anything to add on how they interact with the realms? How they how they venture forth in the realms, uh, interface with the realms at all? Anything new that uh, this book brings that we haven't seen before that you guys want to talk about? I think this is maybe a good place to mention. Uh, they sort of made more reference to spawning pools again. Um, which I know I, I briefly mentioned before, but so for folks who don't know, uh, in the old world, all of the temples had these magical pools um, inside the cities that were used to create new seraphon. And so um, each group of seraphon is, was, I guess, created in a spawning from these spawning pools. And so they like come out in batches and are tied together because they're all of the same spawning. Um, and they go back to that they make mention of it. And they also say that like the new spawnings are particularly vicious because they're being imbued, you know, almost uncontrollably with Gur magic. Um, and so we ended up getting some new creatures being created. Um, some of the, eggs that they've had on ships are now able to be hatched that the previously they couldn't hatch because they're being imbued with the magic from Gur. Um, and so it, it, it adds again, like Paul was saying, it, it grounds them again, um, gives them a more structured, like 
where do these things come from? Well, we now know exactly where they come from, how they're coming into being, why they're the way they are. Um, and, uh, where some of these new models are coming from, because it's like, well, why, why do they all of a sudden have these new things? Well, because of the girl magic and the eggs that they previously couldn't hatch. Yep. And there was also one specific, um, unit entry had mentioned that, oh yeah, no, there was just this extra room that opened up in yeah. all of the, all of the spaceships like, oh, yep, there's that door open now. I guess we're getting a new unit type from there. But like, <laughs> I'm reducing it. Like the lore is actually super cool because it, it, because it reinforces the old ones as the reason for why this race exists. What it does is it creates a believable narrative as to why things would just appear without knowing why they're appearing. Right. So yeah. I actually, I mean, I'll reemphasize part of the, the lore is that they are in the heavens seeking these different pieces of, of lost um, old one artifacts and stuff. And one of the things they talk about, uh, is in the heavens called the incandescent sphere is, uh, upper in, in the upper heavens of Azir. And it's this relic of the absent gods that they're trying to repair. And it definitely looks like, um, the, Oh, what's the, what's the big salon model? Is it the croak? croak? Uh, one where it has all the, the, the circular stones like rotating oh, around it around it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a gigantic version of that. I'm assuming bigger than even the Sigmarillium. Um, so uh, they're going after these different things. And I love, I do also love the idea that like their temple ships, they probably have some things that like uh, that the salon don't know how to operate. If there's anything in there that is old one technology or the combination long lost because they've lost a ton of memory that's been cut out. And so to have some things kind of unlock or come back into, um, kind of use, uh, I like that a lot for these guys. Yeah. Agreed. Um, all right, cool. Um, uh, as far as the allies and enemies go, I don't know that there's been too much change, but I'll say, Hey, do you guys have any new allies or new enemies for the Seraphon that we didn't know about before previously? I mean, the Draconith. Yeah, good ally. Okay, good That point. was definitely not in the last um, Battle Tome. So. Yeah, Dragoneth didn't exist yet in the last Battle Tome. So. Uh, I'll say they were probably always allies of the cities of Sigmar, but maybe more specifically or like present day is uh, Dawnbringer Crusade, which is, I mean, for all kinds of purposes, the same thing, but it's a cities of Sigmar on the move. And that, I think, is a, a new allyship that we're seeing a little bit in this new era um, as well. It's a jazzercising um, city of Sigmar. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> um, as far as enemies go, do you think there's any new enemies uh, besides everyone who's against the Great Plan? They definitely spend a lot of time talking about Kragnos and like all of the giant war that he started and how like that is now kind of a focus because that's a big enough problem that they have to sort of take a break from chaos to deal with all this destruction. I'm, I'm blanking. At the end of the Broken Realms, Kragnos he gets tricked into chasing, like running into a portal, right? Yep. And that's by by the yeah. Seraphon, correct? Yeah. And, and then, and then, do we get any resolution to where they took him? Yeah. 
A little bit later, um, we find out from the Slaves of Darkness battle tome, they shipped him off to a, uh, a chaos fortress, and he wrecked house so much so that it distracted Archeon. And he, what was it, did Archeon have to go and, like, clean up after the fact? Like, he missed Kragnos, but, like, yep. he distracted sure. Archeon and missed Archeon's plans. And so, like, Archeon took uh, an L, essentially, because on his watch, this fortress got wrecked. And so everybody's like, well, is Archeon that great? Like, if he couldn't even, like, this fortress got <laughs> So that was like Bellacore is like, ha, sweet. I look better now because of that. So, <laughs> well, okay. hey, listeners, if you want to find out more about that and then listen to the Slaves to Darkness battle tome from a few episodes ago. Exactly. Uh, Bellacore is a new enemy since the last battle tome as well. Yeah. Um, and Bellacore is more interesting as an enemy for the Seraphon because he doesn't have a power base, right? He can show up wherever, whenever. And specifically because his Imagine cursed guys are messing with them as well, right? Like, so. Yeah, too true. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Let's get to the stuff that people want to f- know more about, which is to say there's a bunch of new units in this book, and folks want to hear about them. Um, and I want to tell them about them. So uh, there's, I don't know, seven or so new, like, entries or new models out there that are probably worth talking about. That's a lot. Uh, which, yeah, this is why I even I wasn't going to do this battle tome if it wasn't for all these new uh, model entries. Um, so did you guys have any favorites? Maybe If we go quick enough, we can do all of them, but only if we go quick. Um, but uh, please talk to me about some of your favorite new ones that are out and about that you want to chat. I think I won. Wrapped it on chargers. They're awesome because they're Tichihuichi's raiders from the old world, which were the cold one riders that were skinks. But now they're on chickens and they're awesome. And I thank you for giving them back to me because they're amazing and fantastic. <laughs> so I love them. To you specifically. Yeah, no one else can exactly. have them. Exactly. That, that's what I heard. Uh, what is, but tell me their lore. People want to know what they are. Um, so they are the ones that have the javelins. So they're the, the feisty skinks. They are the, the, the uh, what do they call them? They call them specifically the paladins of Sotek. Like, I mean, for a skink <laughs> to be a paladin of Skotek, like, he's got to have a lot of confidence, right? And a massive amount of confidence in that Raptodon to, like, pull the weight for him, like 95% of the weight. Um, but I, I, I've i always loved Tichihuichi's Raiders. I have several boxes of them, and I still have a Seraphon army for the old world that has them in it. So, um they're a cool idea i'm glad they remade them with even better models so um they actually have a cool thing which is going to touch on the other unit the other raptor on hunters where they actually synergize super well i know we don't usually talk about rules but it's super cool that they've kind of combined them into a he said we can't get to all of them unless we keep it short super effective (laughs) (laughs) So there's one shooty one and there's one combat one. That's about as far as I'm going to get in the rules. And the shooty one shoots and then the combat one is better. So yes, please. And thank you. Yeah. Sure. They do say that the um, the things that they ride, the Raptodons, are equal in intelligence as the skinks. And they work together. Uh, they communicate in clicks. But when they need to be dead silent, they communicate with changing colors in their, um, in their feathers so that they can mm-hmm. communicate with each other. And, you know, it's kind of like the... The um, what's it called in in uh, Jurassic Park, right? The kind yep. of the raptors. The Wait, raptors. Weren't, yeah. weren't the some of the new things? Wasn't something telepathic in here too? Like, or is it these guys or something else that were literally the skink spawning groups can oh. have a telepathic link? Yeah, yeah. Those, but those but the thing is, I'm not sure if saying they're as smart as raptodons is making raptodons smarter or making skinks dumber. I just wasn't sure mm. which one of those ones it was, but. 
I'll take it the other way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very cool. Um, and it, it's worth noting, this, the, these mounds are examples of those uh, dinosaurs that couldn't be hatched before uh, the, the Gersh magic, but the Gersh magic has made it such that now these eggs that couldn't, they, they couldn't do anything with all of a sudden are, are hatching or they were discovered in some sealed vault that now popped out. This is, this is some of those examples. Um, other units that you guys want to talk about? So I guess, uh, the other mounts that couldn't be hatched previously are the Agrodons. So these are the, the, I guess, Saurus equivalent of mounts that are, um, newly hatched and these things sound kind of horrible actually they're like super raged out all the time and they can't hardly be controlled except by very specific saurus who are spawned sort of alongside them to be able to control them um and so they are like hyper aggressive uh mount aggro i mean literally it's in the name it's very on the nose (laughs) um and and so it's sort of just like point them in the right direction because once these things get going they're very hard to stop and i i didn't look super closely at the rules but that i believe is kind of reflected in their rules a little bit which is cool i mean i like i like it when the the rules are tied to the lore and not just like hey here's some numbers on a spreadsheet yeah, they're cool. Uh, these mounts are also used not only just by Saurus, who are the uh, Agrodon um, Lancers, but then also serves as mounts for Scar veterans. Who, I mean, if mm-hmm. you're if you're willing to drive or ride a not drive ride a carnosaur like, it, but also really willing to ride an Agrodon, it really speaks to the uh, ferocity of this this thing. Um, related to the Agrodon Lancers, uh, patron of the show, Will Lawless. Thank you. Uh, Will um, had a question. Uh, assuming the Soros Knights have actually been replaced by Agrodon Lancers, is there any allusion to it uh, in the lore at all? Any reference to like uh, old knights going away or cold ones or anything of that nature? Guys, am I blind or is no. it stricken from the record? It is just It's a gone. cold shoulder to the cold ones. Yeah, there you go. There, there's there you not go. a single reference, which is hilarious, I think. Um, they're just like expunged from the records. They never existed. <laughs> Yeah, that's a little too bad. I mean, they were derpy looking, but still. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, there's another unit that's expunged from the record. The Razor Don. Razor Dons are gone completely. They just don't even have a replacement. They're just gone, gone. No, and it's weird to me because the the spawn of Showtech could be a dual kit, but it's not. Nope. So, yeah. Unfortunately, I hate dual kits. Um, but it's funny that we actually get Eric on the show, who I believe last time he was on the show bemoaned the removal of lore from Battle Tomes. Now, this is a removal of a unit, but like with removal of unit comes removal of lore. Yet another example of them taking mm-hmm. stuff away, which is, I don't know if it was a pet peeve of yours, but at least I knew you brought it up. So, it was, Yeah, it was just in that case, there was a piece of lore that I thought was pretty cool mm-hmm. that we had lost in that, that iteration. So. Uh, in this case, uh, it probably makes it's probably hard to explain away. Like we had cold ones, now we have agrodons. It's probably it's one of those. Is like, hey, just buy in. We're just moving forward. <laughs> yeah. Or or the agrodons like ate all the cold ones. <laughs> Try not to worry about it too much, guys. We we, yeah. we needed to move the model line forward, so yeah. this is just how it is now. They fed yeah, yeah. the cold ones to the ag- that's, they ate them. Yeah. yeah. All right, there we go. You so heard it here first, folks. The only regret uh, I have is that the the, the Razor Don was the Ankylosaur, right? 
of the dinosaur of the dinosaur people. So we don't have an ankylosaur anymore, and I miss the ankylosaur. Isn't that Bastilodon? Bastilodon is an ankylosaur. No, it's well. not spiky enough. It's not spiky enough. Well, what? No. Yeah. I mean, is my dinosaur nerd coming out. Sorry. I mean, where are the, where are the swimming dinosaurs? We need those bottles released. Never mind. I'll, I'll um, all right. And Darth Alec had also asked it where the cold ones went, and they're gone. Um, so there's uh, that. I'm checking off the list. What else do we got left? Um, Croxagore. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, we've got and two types. Uh, we've got kind of a sleeker Croxagore that sort of looks, uh, I would say, more like a, like a Gila monster head, and then the other one has much more of a longer Croc uh, head, which is pretty cool. They're the Croxagore and the Croxagore Warspond. Uh, it's one of the things that says that the Croxagore they're big, bulky. Sometimes the laborers of the of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they can bite down as uh, use their my their teeth as as equally as they can use these big star clubs. Uh, it seems to imply that the Croxagore are more in the Starborn and the Warspond are more in the Coalesced. There's a little bit of that feel to it. Um, the Warspond seem to be a little bit bigger, a little bit beefier. They, they are, and the Warspond are specifically like spawn just for war. They do nothing else. Oh, the name makes sense then. Okay. Yeah. And they, they also have specific, or they have to even have specific skink attendants because literally they do nothing else but fight. So like they don't even clean themselves or feed themselves. They just fight. So they have like this whole, uh, coterie of little skinks who like clean them up after battle and feed them and like decorate them. Like prize fighters. And they, they even have a little mention in the lore, which I thought was super cool, and they actually have it in the painting as well, that some of these skink uh, attendants will then paint them with like their little handprints and like mark their warspond as theirs and like sort of mm. bling them out before they go into battle, um, which is just a very fascinating uh, little tidbit and it calls back to the sort of symbiotic nature from the old world of Croxagore having to be directed by skinks because Croxagore were the big dumb uh, laborers that built all the temple cities. Yep. Yeah, that's Plus, cool. How appropriate it is that we finally have Crocs in Croxagore? I mean, yeah, it's fun. Actually, mm-hmm. look yeah. like alligators. Yeah. yeah. Also, the naming convention of Gore Right, but in Lizardmen, Croxagor, but we've got the Warsmen, Croxagor, and stuff. That's cool. I like it. Yeah, like an Ogor, Croxagor. Yeah. Ungor. Yes, just Gore. Yeah. I know we don't usually talk a lot about models, but the pictures of the Croxagor make them look like they must be absolutely gigantic. Yep. Like when you see them up against other models in the line, it's like they're twice as big as like warriors or even maybe even bigger than that. Um, I was thinking like rocket trolls. Yeah. Yeah. They're like troll size, which is pretty, pretty nuts. Think how massive that is for um, something that's previously was like just slightly beefier Mm -hmm. than a regular Saurus. Got to get those size up. What do we, what do we got left on our list here? Spawn of Chotek. It's the only, only thing left. Tell, Tell me about them. Yeah, they're just salamander replacements. They're <laughs> they're fa- fancy salamander replacements. Um, they just like the old salamanders. They've got like this acid spit that 
ignites on contact um, with the air, and so they breathe, you know, breathe fire. Um, but they have, again, the references to the special spawning, and then they have skink attendants who are also spawned to go alongside them, and they have different shaped uh, frills from regular skinks so that they know that they're like blessed by Chotek to be able to work with the uh, salamanders. And then for whatever reason, while they don't do this with all the other <laughs> animals that they spawn for the spawn of Chotek, they implant Seraphon technology into their brains so that they can telepathically <laughs> control them, which is sort of begs the question why aren't you doing that with all the rest of these things? It's, <laughs> like, it's it really uh, like avatar based, right? Where you can like mind yeah. meld with your beast. Um, it seems very strange that like, oh, we've yeah. got these agrodons that basically will eat other seraphon that get too close to them and we can't control them, but we'll just implant chips into the brains of these things and telepathically control them. Um, I thought it was interesting that uh, since these are creatures like of actually predominantly, um, or, I mean, spawned there or what have you. Uh, f folks think that somehow they're related to like Vulcatrix, whether they're like, you know, you know, descendants of or, or some relation to, uh, even though we know that that's not the case, Vulcatrix being the mother of salamanders, which is a fun connection. You can't have salamanders running around if there's a mother of salamanders unrelated to them. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, fire slayers go around trying to like kill these things because it's like a, you know, trial by fire i guess trial by <laughs> combat uh, to like defeat these uh creatures which i thought was fun very neat um there's also the hunters of Huanti, but i feel like we talked a little bit about yeah, them, we, especially we when we were talking about the old one yep so i think we're, we're good there um now is the time where i would normally ask about the sub factions however i would say that they haven't changed all that much from previous previous iterations maybe there's a sprinkling of like you know the reaction to modern day um age of beast type stuff um however there was a question just generally uh from darth alec asking about whether or not the book expands how seraphon temples and free cities work i don't know that it has expanded all that much but one thing that jumped out at me that i don't think i've ever read before was um a very uh an explicit relation or like a, a comparison between the skinks um, of the fangs of sotek which is the sub faction that is predominantly skinks following sotek um who are the most likely to be found in their free cities of Sigmar. Comparison between those skinks and those civilizations and then the daughters of Cain, um, in that both sides seem, seem to like kill a bunch of people all the time and like try to blame it on each other or blame it on chaos or blame it on some other thing. Um, and it's almost as if each side has a begrudging acknowledgement of the other saying, I, I know you're doing it for whatever your purposes are. And as long as you don't get in my way, you can kill indiscriminately. And so it's sort of fun to see that both of those cultures have infiltrated you know, good Sigmar fearing civilizations, uh, and are, you know, killing to further their own ends. And so it's a comparison that I probably would have made in my head is me giving myself probably too much credit, but the fact that they call it out is, is noteworthy. And it's very similar themes there, which I thought was neat. Um, um I will also say that I, I'll walk that back slightly. And the fact that they say that the fangs of Sotek skinks have these pylons that they put in their embassies that make them bigger on the inside. Um, so they got this like Doctor Who skink thing going on. Um, where of course. They travel through space and time and, and they have these I mean, massive I mean, sure. things. Yeah, exactly. So, Sure. Um, 
as far as special characters go, there aren't too many. And I feel like we spent a lot of time talking about Lord Croak, the special character. Some might say like the most special character, important special character of all time, um, or at the very least the oldest special character. Uh, the one other unique element to this uh, book that didn't exist from the last one, and we'll bring it up now, especially because we've got a Phil on the line, um, are the Starblood Stalkers. Phil, is there anything you want to bring up about the Stalkers here? I mean, I guess for folks who don't know, the Starblood Stalkers are a group of mostly skinks led by a skink priest, Kishitaka, who is sent with alongside one Saurus Old Blood. They specifically called him in this lore, which is pretty substantial in the sense yeah. that Old Bloods are like the oldest Saurus that um, are basically generals at this point. Um, so attaching a, a Saurus general to this group seems significant, but they were sent off to the mountain of Beastgrave in Gur to try and uh, stop the mountain from being corrupted by chaos. Um, I guess technically they succeeded and because the mountain is dead now, um, so, I mean, they didn't specifically do that, but it is no longer a problem. So I guess <laughs> sometimes some problems just solve themselves. Phil. Yeah. Yeah. Chaos didn't win. And that's what matters. Um, delegation, delegation is super important. That's all it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know why I'm remembering this now, but, uh, they mention in the old blood, um, unit entry that, Saurus have a like genetic memory that unlocks more as they get older and like gain the capacity to manage all of those uh, thoughts. Um, one of the old ones basically Im imbued all the Saurus with like all of his tactical knowledge and it was too much for them and they basically all kind of went insane. And so he's like, well, wait a minute, I guess I need to like put some blockers on this and so as they age they like unlock new knowledge that has been inside them all along and they just gain access to it and so the these so, so many layers of unlocking yeah the distinction of like scar veterans versus old bloods is like how much of their genetic memory they've unlocked and they just made mention quickly in the unit entry of just like um how in battle like they don't actually know why they're directing their other source to do the things that they're doing but they know that it's the right thing to do and they like have an instinctual knowledge of war rather than a like learned knowledge which i think is really interesting um that their generals it's not that they're like super gifted or super uh learned they they just have an innate sense of how to fight battles Nice. Right. Tangent, but I just, I don't know, popped in my head there. Sure. Yeah, it's a cool, a cool tangent. Um, as far as the stalkers go, it's since their mission was successful, I, the book makes it a point to say, and so because because of that, people see them all the time. They're just out and about, like running errands and stuff, mm -hmm. and like you're yeah. doing on, on working on unknown missions. And so um, I feel like one of the hallmarks of Shadespire was that so many things were like trapped in Shadespire for the longest time. But like now we're seeing war bands all over the place, like escaping, going, living their lives, and like you know making their mark on the moral realms at large. And this is another example of the stalkers, like just doing their thing yeah 
Not sure how I feel about that. I was just going to say, I don't love it. I like the idea of things just being stuck all the time. That was, that was a cool like narrative hook, but yeah. Yeah, oh well, I don't get to say. So, um, real quick, is, is, um, is that guy the only Old Blood then? No. Is Old Blood still a unit? Old, old Bloods are all like the general level Saurus are all Old Bloods. So it's oh, a very generic so term. Got there it. are many. Not as many as all Saurus, but there are quite a few. And then there's... What, what were the... Oh, it's the, the Scar Vets that we used to have that single model of a Scar Vet with the big shield, right? Uh, so, oh, that was actually another unit that's gone now. It's the Sunblood. Sunblood, there you go. Yeah, which... There's, there's a Scar Vet on Encounter, sir. There is. And Scar Vet on Agrodon. But oh, yeah, the Sunblood was a standalone model... Um, it was just like a supersized, super strong Saurus, um, which was a replacement of an old world named character. Um, when we came into Age of Sigmar, they were like, we need a more generic term for what this guy is. And and now he's just gone forever. Um, super cool model, though. You could probably still use him as an old blood or a scar veteran if you wanted to. Mm, sure. Yeah. And so the, one of the new models is an old one of the new models in this book is an old blood is a new sculpt um but at any rate uh all right do you guys have other things that you want to talk about before we get to some more listener questions mm, just because i still there's another thing that i remembered about croxagore and i think that the croxagore war spawned are super cool there's a an entry about a croxagore war spawned where the rest of the Saurus and Seraphon that were like a part of that war party doing whatever they were doing got wiped out or whatever or left. And, you know, there was this Croxagore Warspawn who was left behind, but without anybody to help him do anything or direct him to do anything, all he could do is just stand there. And so it just makes mention of like how they they really have no agency by themselves. And so he would just stand in one spot, completely motionless, like collecting dust over hundreds of years and like plants growing over the top of him. But like every so often something would get close enough to activate sort of that, that war, I don't know, uh, mode that they have. And so then he would just like go nuts and like eat them and then go back to just standing completely motionless for the next, you know, however long until something else just wandered by. And it's just kind of uh, really rooting these specific units in the world of like, this is how these things work. And they're very weird and very different. And they don't have any sort of agency. Um, they're just all instinct. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very neat. Now we're going to do some listener questions that I didn't find good spots for up above. Um, and we're going to, we're going to go through real, real quick. Like first things first, here's an easy one. Here's a gimmick, give me one. And it's from two different people. Same, similar question. Tyriel and patron of the show, Demir. Uh, they both wanted to know what dino would be your personal mount. If you had to pick a mount in the Seraphon range, what would you be riding? Easy. Right now? easy. Stegodon. Uh, mm thing of the gods because imagine uh putting a hammock up on that Ooh, and walking baby. through the forest and just the sway back and forth mm-hmm. heck yeah nice I'd, that's what <laughs> i do very cool uh hey paul what would what mount would you be riding i mean i'd probably be riding an agrodon just because like you just hang on and like 
just go flying all over the place. Be great. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm. Uh, hey, Phil, what kind of mount? What kind of mount would you be mounting? So torn because I think it would just be super cool to ride on a carnosaur, but that might be a little scary. Pterodon could also be very fun because yeah, be my um, answer. the, me the it, ability yeah. to fly around and do cool stuff. And it, it's probably not as likely to eat you either. Um, so, you know, bonus. Uh, I like the idea of also riding a Raptodon because they seem pretty smart and uh, they'd get me out of trouble, I think, as well. I'd be like, hey, man, just yeah. let, let's let's boogie on out of here. They seem like maybe they're probably possibly the fastest, right? Which uh which means they I certainly can run look, the opposite direction uh, from from danger. Yeah, they certainly look fast. Yeah, with the frill. Anyways, that's cool. Good question. Um, patron of the show, armoire enthusiast. That's that's Mike, right? Do I get yep. the names right? Okay. Uh, he wants to know if you had to use only one of the new models and its lore to try to convince someone to play Seraphon as a faction. Which one would it be, and why? Uh, good mm. question. Uh, first come, first serve. Who's got a Who's got uh, a unit in mind, or you know, a model in mind, visually and lore based that you would use to convince someone to play this faction? Who's got one? I'm gonna go with Sigadon. Uh, it's just a great kit. It's from the golden age of kits, where you had kits that did so many different things. Um, so this is a a tri kit. So you can do an engine of the gods, or you can do the basic. Um, crossbow or you can do the one with the blowpipes right and they all have their own thing and the kit comes with i think six skinks but it also comes with a skink priest and a skink chief so like it just informs all the rest of your army and i think it's super awesome kit did that one always have three war scrolls because now i have a, a chief war scroll so yes yeah it, did. it had a um it had a lesser second honor i don't remember what the term was but there was a young Stegadon, an old Stegadon, and then an old Stegadon with a priest, and then an old Stegadon with a um, chief. So, and I, I remember the days of running a Southlands list with a Stegadon helm and you just ran into everything and did double impact hits, and it was amazing. <laughs> uh, Phil or Eric, what, uh, what model would you use? You can only use one. What would you use? Go ahead, Phil. Um, so this is an interesting question in that I think if you were to convince someone to play the faction you'd have to kind of know the person's personality and be like hey this thing so I'll, I'll cheat a little bit and say i'd use the model because it's such a large model range i'd use the model that i think would be most uh aligned with that person's like the thing that they want to do but personally i would use uh something like a slan or lord croak because the I don't know, it it gives you this sense of like, this is the focal point of the armies. Like, yes, we've got the Saurus and the the monsters and the Croxagor and the Skinks, and they're all doing these things, but they're all being directed by this guy, and he's in control, and he's the main thing, and you pretty much always want to build your army around one of these, so get used to the the magic and the majesty of the Fat Frog. Sure, sure. Eric, what do you think? I think, I mean, the Carnosaur is the one that always kind of pulls on me. Uh, though those new uh, Raptodons are, are just super cool. But yeah, the Carnosaur kind of was probably what it'd be like. And I'd make the monster, the, the dinosaur noises, <laughs> and stomp it around. And yeah. yeah. I, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with the counter That's my answer too because I think when the one of the more compelling reasons to play this army is it's big dinosaurs. And when people think of dinosaurs, they think of T-Rexes. I mean, they, they the do. closest thing you're gonna get to a T-Rex is a carnosaur. So you say, hey, you want to play an army full of dinosaurs? Here's the dinosaur that that you that you think of when you think of dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Um, I just use the word dinosaurs a lot right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. that I mean, that's it's a Seraphon battle. Someone else is there. So I think that's like the quintessential. I mean, the, the slant too, but the slant too, or lower croak, but like those are a little abstract, not abstract, but um, um, they're tangent. I mean, they're focal points, but also tangential to like the th- like the the rest of the theme. Like everything else is squarely a, a prehistoric creature. Um, so that's why I kind so of it. I would say I would also answer this question in a way that Mike did not ask, which is how would I get him to play the army? I would tell him to go read the fifth and sixth edition. Lizard Man Army because they are <laughs> full of terrible puns, and I think he would love that. So, <laughs> yeah, that's good. They definitely um, used to be like a, a very much a joke army, yeah, where like every single name was some sort of like if you pronounce it the right way, you can tell that this is actually a joke. And <laughs> he didn't want to play with Teeny Weeny, yeah, <laughs> right? Uh, another question, Chrisling asks uh anything new about the inhabitants the inhabitants of the etheric void um i believe the only reference i saw of the etheric void uh was that w- when lord croak was gone for a while the seraphon were fighting these like creatures uh in the void in this case one of them was named uh the seven-headed beast of the urson cluster very sci-fi uh and then lord croak appeared out of nowhere materializing like threw a star at it and like destroyed it and then he disappeared again um and so i think there's one or two other creatures that like were depicted in a mosaic so Kirk's i having like, a lot of fun with his comeback tour <laughs> yeah he just pieces yeah. out um it doesn't although they talk about flying through the void a lot it doesn't really talk about much uh what that means or what that looks like i feel like it really did the book focuses more on the realms themselves which makes sense i think that is on purpose yeah. and and needed um uh not so much uh as a sci-fi like spaceship star wars type story um but it's mentioned there, there are weird things out there that's for sure um lich Cass, patron of the show thank you lich Cass, uh also has a question uh war cry harder girl showed us some of the cool science fantasy technology of the seraphon um any more of that here did any of that stuff jump out at you guys that you feel like are worth sharing which with, with lich castle um so one of the things was the war spawn that are the starborn when they're not in battle they literally just put in suspended animation which i thought was yeah. kind of cool <laughs> just like <laughs> i'm not even gonna deal with you just yeah. go stand there yeah um and and we've mentioned a number of other things that have already kind of come up organically yeah. but mm-hmm. um one that is mentioned and i thought maybe there was some question about it somewhere else and maybe we just missed it but um there there's talk of portals that they use from the ships onto like so so the you know, the um, Starborn actually make their armies show up in the realms through portal technology, not dissimilar to the uh, realm gates. And I think they also have mention of Slan being able to affect realm gates um, and either temporarily or permanently uh, move them um, 
so that it's like, hey, I, I need to stop this invasion of this place. So I, I am going to redirect this realm gate so that, you know, a chaos army can't use it to attack here. There's, there's a, actually quite a bit of just like little tidbits about the different technologies on the temple ships, everything from how they operate in the void to how they operate when they are terraforming and that sort of stuff. So there's, I mean, like, for instance, they, uh, when they're going to, to land, uh, they uh, disintegrate a bunch of the earth below them, shoot it up into the sky so that they can half bury the ship in the ground, like things mm-hmm. like that. So they, there's a lot of different stuff uh, that they do talk about. There's a couple pages worth of things. It would be another probably 30 minutes if we went through and started talking about all that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Raptodon uh, chargers, their lances like shoot blasts of energy. Like, and that's very mm-hmm. much like old world, old world technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I love that when they would bury this temple city into the crust of the realm, they would literally transport it up into the sky and then would form comets and be like, Oh, they're making a new city. They look, they're making a new city over there. They got fireworks. <laughs> yeah. It seemed a little, t- uh, uh, a bit of a tell. And yeah. you kind of give it away. Of which, there were a couple of other lines in here that were intentionally amusing to like, to the point where they were talking about, I don't know if it was the war spawn, war spawn or the, the spawn of Showtech, And they were like, Hey, um, yeah, no, they do this, they do this, and also they eat a bunch of skinks, which they found out super Im- Im- super immediately after they uh, tried yeah. it for the first time. Like, there were a decent amount of jokes in this one, which was I I, I liked a lot. Yeah, delicious. Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of little skinks getting munched by these new monsters. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do skinks taste like chicken? Is the real question. <laughs> Um, all right. I th- but maybe the final question I'll ask now, uh, is, which I think is a good capstone. Another one from Darth Al. He had a lot of good ones and we didn't get to all of them. Um, but yes, um, do they, meaning the Seraphon, do they feel like a functional society now? And maybe to recontextualize a little bit, I, I feel like over the years people haven't thought, and I think maybe even one of us said it tonight that we weren't sure that historically Seraphon really felt like a fully fleshed out, complete, like concrete faction um or you know race or society or, or what have you i think darth alec is asking hey third go around um has that any of that, any of that changed for the seraphon does it seem like it's you know more complete fleshed out um unit um what do you guys uh, what do you guys think about that have we reached full society uh designation yet i i think so um it feels like they went very much out of their way to explain some of the you know, more mundane parts of the Seraphon to try and say like, yes, they do exist in the, you know, world and they, you know, have this way of reproducing and they have this way of living and this is how their society is structured and how they interact with the other uh, factions and, you know, doing some of that, you know, story building, I guess, for lack of a better term of how, what are Seraphon? Like we, we haven't really done this previously because it was like, Ooh, they're mysterious. And it's like just saying that a faction's mysterious doesn't make them mysterious. Um, <laughs> are you sure? It's just kind of annoying. I but if you say nothing else. Yeah. Right. It's like, Ooh, here's this thing we're just not going to tell you about. Um, and so I think by making it very clear that like, once they're coalesced, they have a actual, you know, 
structure. They live in their city. Well, it's a temple ship, but they, they turn it into, you know, like a city and they live there and they, you know, have to go hunt and collect food and gather resources and do all the sort of normal stuff that they used to have to do. Um, and then the ones living on the ships, you know, they live very differently, but they still have a structure to their lives and how they function. And, um, we didn't have a lot of that previously. So I, I would say very much so. Um, and for anybody who plays Seraphon, I think this book will be, uh, very welcome because it'll allow for fleshing out the sort of background of your army. If that's something you care about. I know some people don't, but everyone does, Phil. Everyone okay. Everybody listening to this show. One does. They, should, they ought to. Uh, sure. Uh, that was a pretty compelling answer. Does anybody have it? Does anybody want to fight Phil over that? Um, oh. Or any con contributing to his thesis? Um, agree, to, agree or disagree? I'll, I'll go with the technical. There's no more fine cast. Nice. You're very pr pragmatic, and that's what I like about Very it. true. They're all gone now. All plastic. Yep. All plastic. Everything's Full. Complete. And, and not any even any about ugly that? plastic. <laughs> any final thoughts about that particular question? Because I agree wholeheartedly, and I have nothing to add with what Phil has said. Good. I concur. All right. Nope. All right, cool. Well, then that to some degrees is almost like a segue into us closing this out because I'm curious what you guys thought. So it sounds like we agree that we are lizard men, real boys now, which is to say a real, real boys society. Nope. Lost it. Um, <laughs> what did you guys <laughs> think so about, what did you guys think about the book, uh, as a whole? We'll go in this, the usual order. Hey, Paul, tell me, review it for me. What did you think of this battle tome? I would give it a seven out of eight spider legs. I thought it was really good. Ooh. Um, I also wanted to update your previous statement where you were like the, the boys society. I'm going to go with the dead croak society. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. throw it. Mm -hmm. Dead croak. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Throw a, another syllable in there. Um, cool. Do you have anything to add on your rating? Are we going to? No, it was I good. Just, I, I like the I love it. And then the wow. models are all super fun and new. So like the painting gallery is awesome to look at. So yeah. Perfect. I think Phil's going to have the most to say, so I'm going to go to Eric next instead. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I would say <laughs> six old ones out of six uh, because, you know, it's new lore, uh, tons of cool, weird stuff. They go in depth with a lot of new, um, uh, the range, I don't know, like 30% more uh, or, 50, you know, something like that. Like it's, it's really flesh out and there's a lot of new toys to play with to make, you know, this army feel even cooler and more diverse on the table so i uh i like it a lot all right cool hey phil what do you think of the battle tone man yeah the only opinion that matters, uh, frankly. Go ahead. certainly the best one uh for the seraphon in my opinion that we've mm -hmm. had so far i haven't read a lot of the very recent battle tomes but it feels like they really did a good job with the story in this one too um it's not like I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to rag on corn battle tomes too much, but <laughs> uh, it wasn't corn battle tome, that's for sure. Um, I'll leave it at that. I I thought this one did a really nice job of moving us forward. I mean, it's not it's not quite like the the big story events, but like we have we have new things to be curious about where we're going next in the overall overall story and uh i think they just you know 
if they could do this level of story detail for every faction going forward, I think people would be ecstatic about that. Nice. Jinxed um, it. Yeah, right. You just yeah, well, the age of Sigmar. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, let's see. I got to find a, from here. a numeric, <laughs> numeric rating system. I've got a theory for you. If it might influence uh, um, your numbering. What if the old ones are, in fact, the meta uh, for GW and the patterns you seek are disrupted uh, in the GW releases because the old ones' plans uh, are not known to everybody? Hashtag Eric theories. Whoa. I mean, I, 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 I have a hard time even absorbing what you just said. <laughs> those were certainly words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those, those were English. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, let's say, I mean, I was going to say three out of the four, like sub factions, but like, I'm not, I want to give it more than a three, three and a half out of four, um, or five out of six, perhaps. Uh, I thought highly of this book. I think um, the the my, if I were to rank the types of battle tomes I like, the, the best battle tomes are ones where they're brand new armies, right? Where it's like cover to cover brand new stuff that I've never seen before, and that's awesome. But the next best thing is where you take a faction and you expand it as wide as you can by throwing a bunch more in the range and um, having big impact or like reflecting on the the impact of the present day storyline. And so the, this checks off a lot of the boxes of things that I'm looking for in a battle tome, which is say a bunch of new units. Uh, compelling reasons why those units didn't exist before and why they do now. I mean, there's never been the most compelling reasons, but they weren't hatched before and now the magic is making them hatches as good a reason as any. So I'm, I'm, I'm bored with that. Um, when it comes to the timeline, I want you to spend as much time as possible on one of two things or maybe both things it's a weird stories in like the the you know the reflection on history weird stories things that i hadn't thought of like creative interesting ways that the faction could work that no one has ever you know talked about before and i want you to focus on the the present i want you to focus on what's going on right now and how is my army reacting to reacting to it and that's exactly what this book does you get some weird stories in the timeline and you've got the biggest chunk of of you know of the stories that we read are from the age of beasts and uh, what it means for the uh, Seraphon, which is fantastic. Um, it doesn't look beyond what we know already from a timeline perspective, but I think we've already settled. I don't know why I even keep bringing it up anymore, but the battle tomes aren't going to do that, and I need to stop expecting that they're going to. Just it, Maybe every once in a while they'll give you a little bit of a hint, but even that's not the most common thing. So um, if I forget about that side of things, and I think there's very little that this book didn't do that I expect a battle tome to do. So I rank it very highly. It's not perfect again because I think I probably reserve that for like the something I'd literally never seen before, brand new whole you know release ranges and things like that. So, all in all, I am for it, and I have nothing to add. So let's not belabor the point. Uh, any final thoughts before we get out of here? None. Cool, because here we go. Um, it's time for our reforging, but Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord, drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter, at The Mortal Realms. Uh, hey, Paul, where can they find you online? They can find me at the Path of Story podcast and also at PJ Shard. Excellent. Phil, where can they find you online? You could probably find me hanging out with Davey doing some What the Hex podcasting about Underworlds. And also, if you jump on over to our Discord, uh, usually hanging out there. Excellent. Eric, where can they find you online? 
uh, rambling about narrative play in the Game of Warcry on Dogs of Warcry podcast, and uh, I'm always on the Discord. I'm Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at DosAsos, and you can find me on the Pocket Realms podcast found at uh, themortalrealms.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash themortalrealms. And you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com. My goal here is not to rehash all those things that we talked about three years ago, but just to focus as much as we can on things we find interesting and new stuff, even if we didn't find it interesting, though I bet we did. I'm only um, 82% sure what I had for dinner. How do you expect to remember three years ago? I mean, come I on. mean, I had big, big <laughs> goals that I was going to listen to the last episode, but frankly, I can't stand listening to the episodes when I edit them. I can't imagine I'd want to listen to it like it for enjoyment. <laughs> Who listens um, to these episodes? Hell, I was going to read I mean, the, the, out, the notes, and even I couldn't, I couldn't even do that. I couldn't even bring myself to read the notes from last time. Um, I'm sure so, I had some really good jokes. I'm sure. And we had to. Probably. Grr. No, grr. Here, and edit that out. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, lizards, gurn, wild. <laughs> <laughs> wow. If you say so. Um, yeah. So, or is it more like, grr, it's gone wild. No, not like that. Girls going on. I think okay. we're getting okay. further away. Further away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what other stories do you guys do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs>